long as we have faith in our cause. I'm Mike. And unconquerable willpower. I'm Dave. Salvation will not be denied us. If this is between the lines, are you better off than you were four years ago? And we're back. And we are back. We're here. We're here. We're here. And um, we we're are, large. We're, we're large. We're in charge. In charge. I, I've got a poem for you today. Okay. I, I, you know, it's, it's poem month. Actually, it's not. I don't know if there is such a thing as poem month. So this is how it goes. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and they're like, it's better than yours. Damn right, it's better than yours. I could teach you, but I'd have to charge. Okay, I mean... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a thing, I suppose. <laughs> I, like, I do like milkshakes. I mean, I, I mean, I like milkshakes, too. <laughs> But, I um, just left Mike speechless. He did not expect that to be the first thing. I, I really didn't. I, I wasn't prepared for that. I mean, normally, I have some sort of comeback, but I, I have nothing for that. Um, so last week, uh, we had talked about them big, scary black things, um, guns. Yes. Um, that that uh, everyone's afraid of. Well, they're chrome, too. Yeah, chrome. Some of them are wood. Uh, wood. Yeah. Some oh, of them yeah, are. that's right. Yeah. Rifles. Yeah, yeah. Rifles. My, my hunting <laughs> rifle is wood and wood and metal. Um, but we talked about the Second Amendment, what um, the intention of the Second Amendment, and um, that kind of feeds into, you know, everything that's been going on in, in the country lately. So if you're, if you're curious about the Second Amendment, where it comes from, how it was derived, uh, things like that, we encourage you to go check out that episode. Before that, we had a three-part series on the First Amendment. Uh, obviously, the First Amendment's the most important. That's why it's first. Then yes. um, the Second Amendment is there to protect the First Amendment. Um, so go and back. Just and, because it's number two doesn't make it poopy. That's right. It's not a shitty amendment. It's really not. Got to stop the swearing. That, that's <laughs> that's going to be the hard part with this with this new YouTube venture. He said, "Shitsu." Shite. Shite. There you go. Yes. Yes. Go. It's it's a French word. Um, <laughs> It's a French surname. Fuckensee Duxen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so check, just go back and check out some of our old episodes. We got a lot of good stuff there. Um, one thing that I want to point out, if you go back, um, it really hasn't been getting a lot of attention. We have a two-part series on the Uyghurs in China. Yeah. Um, there's, that is now being called a conspiracy theory. Um, that the that these people are are being put in concentration camps and uh, in a genocide of an entire people. It's not like you can't send somebody over there with a video camera yeah. and see all this yeah. happening. It's not like there's satellite images of death camps. It's not like there's multiple human rights organizations that have already addressed <laughs> this in yeah. multiple. So I just wanted I just wanted to point it out that this is a real thing. Go back and check out those episodes. We even have on our on our website the btlpodcast.com. Um, we do have um, a page dedicated just to that because you know we feel it's we feel it's pretty important. Um, you know, an entire extermination of of an entire race is is not cool. 
it, in my book. It's it's not extermination. It's just a gentle uh, in- acclimation of a foreign populace into it, the Han Dynasty. Almost, almost <laughs> like a uh, a a subtle transition and re-education. Oh yeah, is that what you're? Is that what you're? Um, you know what it, it reminds me of? Do you remember those old racist cartoons back in the 1800s oh. in the New Yorker and you know the guy yeah, with, trying to scrub the skin off of some guy in the yeah. bathtub that's what it sounds feels like to me what's going on in china yeah is that the han dynasty which is the predominant what is it like 70 80 percent of all of china is comprised of han people or yeah. han people so that's what it feels like to me like they're just trying to scrub them clean basically out of their yeah almost like the um almost like how they tried to clean up the south so to speak in yeah. the early days yeah. of uh, of uh of you know slavery and stuff like that they they tried to um cleanse the south so to speak of of a different type of people yeah um it seems like that's exactly what's going on in china so anyway we we um i encourage everyone to go check out those um those old podcasts you can find us on facebook uh at uh pa between the lines we're on twitter at the btl podcast now on now on youtube um, at uh, Between the Lines. Our channel is called Between the Lines. YouTube. We actually got our actual name of Between the Lines for the channel. So that's cool. Um, you can go on YouTube and search Between the Lines and we will pop up. Um, to Not to be confused with our other podcast, Between the Wines. Yeah. Or Between the Sheets. Between the Sheets. Yeah. The yeah. So Between <laughs> the Teeth. Um, that's a dentist. That's a... That's a... Uh, periodontal periodontal (laughs) (laughs) podcast that we do it's exciting so um i think we talked about today um is kind of just going to be sort of a miscellaneous podcast we're going to talk about current events and things like that and i think you wanted to start off with um evolved yeah since we talked about the second amendment uh extensively what the last week or two um course right following that we have one two three four major publicized shootings that happened the most recognized one of course being the one that happened in uvalde is it uvalde or uvalde Uvalde, what i've heard texas tomato um, tomato at the uh what was the name of the elementary school rob rob r-o-b rob elementary which was an absolute tragedy um, yeah, I nineteen, mean, nineteen kids killed. What was it? Two or three teachers were killed. Two teachers, as far as I know, I think it was a total of twenty-one people. So you have the nineteen kids and the two teachers. Um, that would be, yeah. yeah, that would be twenty-one. But I, then, yeah. math is hard. Yeah, math, math is, is very, hard. very hard. We're we're not a math channel, so don't come to us yeah. for that purpose. Yeah. But then, I mean, just within a week, then you have the Tulsa, Oklahoma shooting at the hospital. Did you? Yeah, so I, I heard about that, but obviously that that hasn't been on no major radar channels. They're not they're not really broadcasting that one the way that they are evolved. No, well, you know, there's reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's reasons. But I think there was one more, and I'm I'm now blanking out right now. I feel like there was something else that just happened. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Let me uh, let me look it up here. Real but quick. either way, I mean the so there's there's a lot of publicity going on with regards to these shootings. Now, 
based off of the coverage, based off of how the, the coverage is right now with regards to these situations, one would assume... No, shooting in South Street, Philadelphia. Yes, that's what it was. I just heard about that one this morning. My hometown, South Philadelphia on South Street, which is basically where they hold Mardi Gras. Yeah. You know, at certain points in the year. I I spent many a days down on South Street or many a... Yeah, I I spent a lot of time even on in, you know, just visiting Philly down on South Street. And South Street Street was kind of like the go-to place because it had... Fats Cafe was a popular spot because that was like one of the mains. Um, Larry, uh, the third guy, the curly-head Larry from uh, the Three Stooges, his house was actually on South Street. Oh, really? There's there's a restaurant there that pays homage to him and has like pictures of him up and everything. Not that anybody cares about that. Yeah. But anyways, nonetheless, um, with all the the coverage that's going on the the new interest the new viewer the new person coming into this would assume that these type of shootings are suddenly on an uptick um and they're using from a political standpoint they're using this as a launch point to again push for the ban of what they refer to as an assault rifle, which there is no such thing. For those of you who are not aware of that there is no such thing as an assault rifle. I get that there was terminology that was developed way back in the day. I think it was in the 30s or 40s. Yeah. That well, even by even by that terminology, the, the definition of an assault weapon still has to be automatic. It's switchable. Yeah. It's switchable from uh, single shot to semi-automatic to fully automatic. So uh, even by the even by the 1930s definition, it's still um, it's still ridiculous to call an AR-15. And and the other one that bothers me is uh, those that call it a weapon of war. Uh, if you were to take an AR-15 into an actual war, uh, I think you'd be I think you'd be mowed down. Yeah. Pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, it might be something that a local uprising populace might use yeah. in in the country because they have access to them yeah. at the same time. But I mean, it's uh, my point isn't really to focus on the, the method. Um, it's more the kind of the capitalization on the opportunity. So, and I get, you know, from one, I, I swear it, it always comes up in these conversations, that old phrase that uh, we've heard uh, certain politicians use where you never let a tragedy go to waste. Or yeah, you never, never let, let a, never let a good crisis go to waste. I think is what they and what so they use. so they're back on this again. Um, and I have a couple I have a couple viewpoints that we can get into later on some of the the things that are being suggested. But um, I was actually just to kind of kick this off. I was doing some research and I pulled up a um, a Harvard. Uh, research or a Harvard study that was done back in 2020, 2019. So fairly relevant. So 0.5%, 0.5% of all homicides within the U S are classified as mass shootings. 0.5%. 0.5. Yep. And so I believe not to, not to cut you off, but I believe the statistic they use is three or more people, three or three or more people, uh, yeah. being killed at one time is considered a mass shooting. So, I mean, to put that in the context, now, mind you, this isn't some fly-by-night conservative group that put together or some fly-by-night liberal group or some fly-by-night think tank that put this... Th- this is Harvard. Harvard, yeah. Conducted by, a you know, a number of 
psychologists and psychiatrists. For the most part, people people trust. Yeah, people trust. Still to this day, I Harvard. Mean, as if a, you say Harvard, there's at least yeah, there's a little weight to it that that sits behind when you use the when you invoke, so to speak, invoke the name of Harvard. It it, it at least it used to have uh, some 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 weight behind it. So I mean, this isn't to negate. I am not saying this to negate the fact that there isn't a good deal of violence in the country. We both recognize that there's there's been an uptick in just violence in general. What what we need to be careful about is attributing that violence to a specific method or mode or means. Um, the the core issue that I think we really need to get into the habit of discussing more than the method is why are people so violent? Why you get wh- down to the nitty gritty? Yeah. Of why uh, why is there such a transition? Like why why all of a sudden when this? I mean, let's be honest. One thing I want to want to start with is this lie. I mean, this is an outright lie that Biden keeps peddling. Uh, you know, the, the the Second Amendment is not absolute. You know, when they, you weren't allowed yeah. to own cannons, yeah, you were. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It wasn't until 1934. Um, you know, um, there were no restrictions on the Second Amendment whatsoever until 1934 when they uh, when they. Um, uh, what is it? The NFT, the the National Firearms Trade Act, or something okay. along those lines. In 1934, I'd have to look it up, but that's when they banned what they what they called gang style guns. If you look at the rhetoric from back then, it's not very different than what it is today. They're probably except referring for, to the Tommy guns yes, that were being used. Yes, during the- except for back then, the propaganda was is they wanted to stop the gang shootings and and the gangsters and and all that stuff because of prohibition, where all that stuff but the i wanted to start there to say that this the the second amendment was restricted is is bullshit yeah uh, because you know civilian warships were used in the revolutionary excuse me in the revolutionary war to to yeah. sink to sink british ships they were they were conscripted and they were already they already had the cannons and all that stuff because back then if you were on the high seas you were on your own and a lot of people, sh- you know, traveled by boat back then, and yeah. so you had to fit your boat with cannons. If you weren't allowed yeah. to buy cannons, how would you survive on the high seas? Throw harpoons. So on I them. mean, to, that that argument is is stupid because, yeah. and to say, oh well, the the uh, the founders could have never imagined um, a, a gun that could that could fire as fast as this one, and, and again, that's a lie because they, it wasn't widely used, but they had a thing called the puckle gun. Uh, back before the revolution, I think it was I think it was invented in this in the 1720s, um, and it was it was almost like a Gatling gun. It had a big plate on top of it, okay, um, that would hold the hold the the um, the musket balls, um, and it would it would rotate around, and as it would get in line with the with the the rifling barrel a charge would go off that would fire that one and then you would rotate it and the next one would yeah. fire and the next one like a gatling gun yeah. except for the gatling gun had cartridges and this was the technology they had at the time so it's not impossible the the the, the framers of the constitution and the, the those that wrote the second amendment knew that automatic weapons were a thing and they still didn't care yeah you know the musket the rifled musket at its time was the pinnacle of military technology and civilians were not only 
allowed to have them. It was accepted and encouraged for them to have well, the most powerful weapons that was available at the time. Well, not for anything, but you're also, if you're talking about revolutionary period of time, I mean, we're talking about soldiers that would be on the field with both sword and and yep. and musket or sword because you couldn't rely on a musket in battle. You could yeah. get the first one or two volleys off, yep. and then it was all close combat <laughs> at yeah. that point. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know... A, not to get wrapped up in semantics, but at the same time, is that that's what they try to do. That's their that ends up being kind of the core argument that they throw out there. That you well, you know, the Second Amendment is irrelevant because of you know XYZ. changing technologies and everything, and you know because of changing technologies, it invalidates the relevance of the Second Amendment and. No, so free speech doesn't apply to YouTube. Exactly. Anymore. Well, it's just somebody made that statement to me. I said, you know, you saying that the Second Amendment is only relevant to muskets is like me telling you that free speech is only relevant if you speak in old English. Yeah, or you or you use a printing press. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 the most asinine backwards. I think we logic. Covered, I think we covered that in the third um, installment of our First Amendment series. How? Yeah how the third first amendment applies as much today as it did back then and even more so because twitter is now the printing press yeah you know what i mean like that when when the printing press came out it was the it was it wasn't the the freedom of the press wasn't the freedom of the machine itself it was the freedom to disseminate um the freedom to to get ideas out into the world to share knowledge, to share ideas, to share concepts. And it, it didn't necessarily have to be scholarly proven theories. Like yeah. a lot of the a lot of the discoveries that were made during that time were made by private citizens, not not universities, not not institutions, but regular people. And then if to say, um, oh, and there's some deer walking up through the woods. That's cool. Sorry, distraction. Um, I'm like a squirrel. Yeah. Deer. ADHD. It's, it's so bad. <laughs> um, but, um, to, to, to try and say that, that the, the technology that is, that has evolved negates your right to freely disseminate things based on that technology is horseshit. Yeah. It wasn't the press that was free. It was the person that was free to express ideas, even if they were, even if they were unprovable ideas, yeah, um, to be able to to be able to say their opinions out loud, um, opinions are protected by the First Amendment, and that's another thing that people don't get, you know. And and the thing is, is that as technology changes, whether it be in the sphere of communication or what we're talking about right now in the sphere of defense, uh, artillery, you know national defense, personal defense, yeah. you know, so on. That doesn't negate the fact of what... Uh, the Second Amendment was developed, written, maybe in some people's eyes very vaguely, but broadly for a reason, yeah. because it covers three specific things. It covers one, defense of the nation, because like you were putting it, there was a time in this nation's history where we didn't have the budgets, where we didn't have the monetary means, you know, from a state or federal standpoint to construct a militia or military or a standing uniformed army 
and we didn't. They weren't have, spending hundreds of billions no, of dollars a year on defense. They didn't. In the early ha- well, days. they didn't have the capacity, nor did they have that even, amount of money. wasn't even a thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember, it was all like privately, like they were wealthy people, individuals that were funding. Like the governor of New York would probably been funding the local militia, you know, to fight in these wars. You know, think about that yep. for an instance. You, you know, we complain about you know, how politicians don't do a whole lot. Well, these politicians did. Did. These yeah. politicians had to put their money into the Where their into mouth the was. fight, yeah. literally. Yep. Um, but what I was trying to get at is, one, it was the Second Amendment was constructed, one, for the defense of the, of the state or, you know, the nation as it was or as it would become. Two, it was designed for the defense of self from others. You know, it, it's there as a defense from others. And three a defense of self from others as in the case of the state. Yeah. So there is a threefold purpose by which the second amendment or what what it serves. And then an- an- another one that people don't don't even really think of unless you're in the situation is you have to defend yourself, you have to defend yourself from animals. Yeah. Like yeah. like there's back especially in those days you were if you were on the frontier yeah. You were on your own, man. Yeah. You you just would go out into the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, or the middle of nowhere, Oregon, or the middle of nowhere, Montana. Shout out to Yellowstone. Uh, middle of nowhere, and you would you would just be there. Yeah. And it, you know, grizzly bears would come and eat your whole family. You know, wolves were were you know back in those days, wolves would run in giant packs like herds yeah. because they were they were so prevalent mountain lions cougars bobcats i mean you were alone yeah quite so literally if you didn't have a means to protect yourself you weren't going to survive no. and i mean that's just bare bones bottom line you were you were a dead person so i mean at the base of it if you take the most base reason for why there would be a second amendment and let's say the most base reason is the defense of self against self-preservation self-preservation is really what it boils down to um and i mean you could characterize the state as a single state the single state acting on behalf of itself needs to defend itself so it's acting the state is acting in a self-preservationist means yep the problem is is that the the founding fathers also understood that at some points the state starts to believe that in order to pervert, preserve itself, yeah, perverse itself, in order to preserve, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's yeah. yeah, sorry, that was a, that Freudian, was a Freudian, Freudian slip, slip right there, but, you know, in order to preserve itself, sometimes it, it, it uh, jumps the gun and believes, uh, sorry, that was yeah. a uh, pun, <laughs> pun there. We're just full of full double of, entendres this morning. Woo. Um but it, it assumes that in order to preserve its integrity, that suddenly the citizens are its threat. Yeah. So, but the founding fathers put it into place that there would be a balance with regards to the state being able to defend itself and also the citizens themselves being able to defend themselves from both a federal to state standpoint, from a federal to citizen standpoint, even to a state to citizen standpoint. Absolutely. You know, there's, it's multifaceted in the aspects of what it covers. I'd have to look it up, um, but there's even recent Supreme Court precedent um, within, I'll say within the last 10 years, that states, if police officers are serving a warrant to the wrong address, 
and you kill a police officer for them, you know, barging into the wrong house and you fire upon the cops as they as they enter. And it turns out that the warrant they were at the wrong house. Yeah. You're not responsible for that, you know, because they they're you can't you can't have you can't have a militarized police force that can just break into anybody's house without consequences. Well, that's why the whole argument with no-knock warrants and all that kind no of No-knocks, and that that was what it involved. No-knock warrants are becoming, um, I, th- I think, I'd have to look on this, but I think the Supreme Court ruled that no-knock warrants are unconstitutional. I think. Okay. I, ca- I don't quote me on I'm not up to that. speed on that, so yeah, I don't know. Don't quote me on that, but I I do believe, and and if they're not, they should they should be, because yeah. that, they don't square with the Fourth Amendment no. whatsoever. So, due process and yeah. all that. I yeah, because you you can't have a, a no knock warrant. It, it, it's it's dangerous. Yeah. For one, we all see what happened with Breonna Taylor. We, you can you can you can talk about how her boyfriend had guns and she there's there's some some accounts where she was firing back and there's some accounts where only he was firing back. It doesn't matter. The fact that the no knock warrant when 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 officers are shooting through the doors. And yeah. shit like that. I mean, no. Yeah, and not for anything. But I, it you saying about shooting through the door reminds me of a situation growing up in Philadelphia. Of course, the time and period in which I grew up was in the early mid to early eighties, uh, up into the nineties. So we were at that point we were still pretty heavily inundated with mafia related activity in the town. Yeah. In fact, I, I've got tons of stories. Oh, I've I, been watching a lot of. Um, YouTube videos about about the Philadelphia and the New York families and and well, my like neighbor, that. my neighbor. Oh shit! Like the house that butted up against ours, because in Philly, if you've never lived in a city like that, row homes, <laughs> row homes are basically glorified apartments where you can hear everybody take a shit. You could piss out your window, yeah. and it'll it'll hit the neighbor's yeah, house. Yeah, basically. So my neighbor, um, I'm not going to say his name, but you know, Obviously. there was. A situation where the there was a leader at that point. There was a head mafia guy that was kind of overseeing everything going on in Philadelphia. His name was Stanfa. Okay. Stanfa was the big cheese at that point. Stanfa got indicted. There was a stoolie, as they called him. Yeah. That you snitched on all of them. A rat. And basically, it turned into this long, big, drawn-out process where a bunch of them ended up going to jail for a really long time, probably the rest of their lives. But anyways, what that left is it left a void in terms of leadership. So then what you naturally have as a result of that is all these ambitious little twerps that want to rise to the top of the milk, so to speak, or be the cream of the crop. So it just just so happened that, you know, one of my neighbors was like kind of a middle man person. I don't know what level of involvement he had. I can't talk to any of that. But, he was an associate. But uh, somebody got wind. A friend of the family. Yeah, a friend. Yeah. He's a friend. Hey, a friend. He's a friend of ours. But, um. Hey, oh. Hey, oh. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, anyways, he, he, somebody was a little pissed off about the fact that he was trying to weasel his way up to the top uh, while all this was happening. And so, one night, I think it was like on a weekend, I can't remember exactly, but it was at night, and we heard all these gunshot blasts going off around the corner. Literally, it was around the corner because it was my house, then one, two other houses next to me, 
and then there was a corner store and then his house was right on the other side of that corner store so it's literally like not even a, f- a block it's like a quarter no quarter of a block away so we go around and you know there were shotgun blasts right through the f- guy's front door so they were hoping that he was home thankfully because he had kids it wasn't joe biden was it no <laughs> Yeah, okay. yeah, I remember he said, I would shoot them through the front shoot door. Shoot them through the door. It's like, well, Very that's, bad idea. That, that's technically that's illegal. illegal. That's murder. But okay, you <laughs> I, do you, Joe. I love how people that talk about using guns to try to, you know, acclimate or affiliate themselves with the other side yeah. say some of the most outlandish, stupid stuff that you would get you put in You don't need that. Get prison. a shotgun. Yeah. And if they're coming in, just shoot them through the door. <laughs> yeah. That's murder, Joe. If it's a zombie <laughs> if it's a zombie apocalypse, maybe. Yeah, that's one thing. You know, they, they don't have any yeah. reservations. Zombies, as far as I know, zombies have no rights. They, they just go brains and, you know, that's all that's going on there. <laughs> so, you know, you're on the other side of the door. They smell brains. They want it. You can shoot them through the door. I'm fine yeah. with that. Zombies but, are zombies are fair game. But a thinking zombies are fair cognizant game, human being that, you know, is still living, you know, mostly. Mostly living. Sure. I don't know if that's a term mostly living. Well, if you're well not, they do if, say if you're half dead, you beat a person half to death. Half to death. What is it what maybe that's what happened to Biden. <laughs> maybe he got beaten. He was half, beaten half to death, and that's why he's <laughs> he's he's half he's half like sometimes sometimes there's a spark or two of clarity. And then most of the time, you know, most of the time you get you, you get other things like true and international average of pressure. You know that you know something happened there. There's some cognitive, you know, there's some cognizant things, your cognition things going on there. Yeah. So, anyways, I mean, I was just saying that because if a cop were to do that very same thing, it would be criminal. Absolutely, it was criminal for those whoever they were to drive by and blow. 12 gauge Absolutely. shots through his front door. So, I mean, get a shotgun. Yeah. But, yeah. But, no, I get your point, though. Like, um, that they're mafia tactics. Yes. You can't have the police, you can't have police being like mafia doing, is doing mafia tactics. Exactly. And, and, you know, I hate to say it, but that this is completely out in left field, but civil forfeiture is another thing that needs to be gotten gone because that's another mafia tactic. Uh, if if you're I don't know if you're familiar, civil forfeiture is they pull you over, and you have ten grand in cash on you, they can take that. They can just take that money because they there's they a, assume there's a precedence that allows them to assume that that money is going to be used for criminal purposes. So they can just take your 10 grand and then you have to fight to get your fucking money back. I feel bad for the Amish in those cases because yeah. they could technically. That's, <laughs> so so there's, there's stories about people that have taken out large sums of cash to go put down payments down on houses, to purchase cars, to purchase boats, and they were on their way to buy said whatever it was and got pulled over and there's a bag of cash and now the police force gets to take that cash. Now, here's the other part, the, the bad part. They incentivize this because the police department then gets to take that money and keep it as part of their budget. Oh, my God. So tell me that doesn't incentivize them to find that cash and keep it because then that their budget just got boosted by 20 grand. Police, local civil servants, public servants, the word incentivization should not be part of their structure. I get you. I get you. 
And that I don't I don't mind if like an individual police officer is doing a great job in terms of he's doing his reports, he's staying above board, he gets a bonus because yeah. he does a good job, but to incentivize them essentially what I would characterize as infringement That's upon, absolutely upon somebody's rights. That's a major in my opinion, I don't know how that how that jives with the Fourth Amendment. No, I don't understand. I would imagine that that does that because I'm not too up to speed on that piece. But would that boil down differently in with with regards to how states execute it or flush it out? Does it change from state to state? I w- I would imagine. I would imagine that each state would, has their own has their own um, you know rules about civil forfeiture. But on a federal level, it could be done federally as well. Gotcha. So I mean, like every level is so if corrupt. FBI or yeah, it, it, it's corrupt on every level. Not that an FBI agent's going to pull over a car because they usually yeah. don't do stop and but, search. But not to say that the FBI is exactly above board. No. Well, we know that there's <laughs> we know that there's shadiness in just about every law enforcement agency out there. I mean, it's not a huge percentage, but yeah. it's, it, there's a percentage. Yeah, there. but that's but that's something else. That, that civil forfeiture. That's something else that that's that's got to go because that. I mean, I hate to get off on left field, but we could have a whole yeah. We could have a whole podcast just on that because now you're you're talking about where's the due process in that? Yeah, you know where's the that's an illegal seizure. You know what an illegal? No, never mind. That was a <laughs> bad bad joke. But I was gonna say it's like with regards to the Amish. It's like, do you remember that TV show that was on for a while, Amish oh, Mafia? The Amish Mafia. Did you ever? Yeah. What goes clippity clop, clippity clop, bang bang, clippity clop, clippity clop, bang bang. Namish drive by. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> so, oh man. Anyways, yeah, but I mean, um, that was a joke. It, I, it could be characterized as something in that general. It was also a statement. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Because if if I'm making reference to the Amish Mafia show, then that might have happened. It just may have never been televised. Yeah, that that show is wild. That what what did they use? Like, I guess guns don't use batteries, so they're not necessarily. No, the guns are perfectly legal for yeah, the Amish. That's right. There's that's no there's no rules against guns, and they don't have to be. That's the ironic part. Is um, you know the, the Amish their technology is limited to a certain time period. Yeah. Except for their guns. However, however, and this is just hypothetically speaking, if we become like, if we move into the upper echelon of human existence and we suddenly become Star Trek-esque, now we're using phasers. Yeah. And they have some kind of power source. So, so we this would is be a able dumb to... conversation, by the way. But <laughs> I'm just pointing out that in the hypothetical situation, the Amish still exist. And okay, so, <laughs> so what you're saying is... In order for us to stamp out the Amish uprising, <laughs> we would need to use some Fa- sort of phaser laser or gunner. electronic electric based <laughs> exactly. gun. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, just so, thinking outside the box. So here. when the Amish, so when the so when the most peaceful, <laughs> so when the most peaceful people in America decide to uprise, we'll have we'll imagine have something there. Imagine Mad Max. Imagine Mad Max. But with horses and buggies. Imagine across these desert landscapes, and there's just buggies. Can you imagine? What would they be wearing? Would they be li- wearing leather chaps? Would that they, They're big oh in the leather. God. I know that Amish make leather belts, 
So the thing is, it's like, do they do they go the extra step and do like leather chaps or leather vest? You know, like, is there is there an involvement there that happens that still falls oh. within the scope of what their religion allows and everything? You know, the whole good thing about this conversation is, is there's no way that we're getting canceled by the Amish. <laughs> they might even be laughing. They're not even listening to this. That. They should make a movie called Rumspringer. Rumspringer. <laughs> and then it's like it's like Mad Max, but it's like Rumspringer 2035 or Rumspringer 2050, you know. It's like let's just imagine what the what the the the, the landscape is going to look like when when the Amish became the last line of defense for culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One man. <laughs> One desire. His name was Hezekiah. <laughs> it's no longer the Amish paradise that. Uh, so don't be vain and don't be whiny, or I'm gonna have to get medieval on your hiney. You reap what you sow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh, Lord. that'd be so good. That I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie now. That would be like Sharknado. That would be like on that <laughs> level. I'm pretty sure it would be on that level. Tara Reid would have to be in oh, the movie yeah, somewhere. Yeah. She would have to be the Amish, the outcast Amish that, you know, has a sudden turn of heart and realizes that her family really was. Kirk Cameron and Tara <laughs> Lee. <laughs> Kathy Lee Gifford. As <laughs> oh, my Lord. That would be hilarious. I would pay double. Oh, I would watch that. <laughs> I would totally watch that. Hey, where did, how did how did we get here? What, I, what I, were we talking about? I don't know. Something about something about the Second Amendment, yeah. and then it went to the Amish and Rumspringer and, and Amish and mafia and everything. We this rabbit hole. I don't know how we got down here. <laughs> we need to find our way out. Yeah, of it. we could find our way back. So, yeah, um, let's let's start with the the um, the speech by our wonderful president um, about how. Um, do you want to throw it up on the? Uh, yeah, give me a, give me a minute. I'll have to pull it up. Um, so Biden the other day, just to preface what we're what we're bringing up here, Biden at some point um, made a speech about guns, and I want to see if I can pull up just the one clip of, that he was talking about nine millimeters. Um, nine millimeters. Those eight millimeters. No rational basis for purchasing high caliber yeah, weapons. Yeah, I think that's it. Let me see if this is it. Welcome back, everybody. The president speaking now after his arrival. And this is MSNBC. Oh, of course, we're going to buffer. And I'll just conclude with this. When I first started doing hearings on. The Sorry about the helicopter. Rational gun laws should be. It was during a period when I was a senator. And the death rate was going up. What's the difference? Why are so many people, not, not that many more people are being shot. This is not 20 years ago, it was 25 years ago. I said, why are they dying? I'm sorry about the, I, I the buffering. Look, when I first started doing hearings on the issue of what rational gun laws should be, it was during a period when I was a senator. And is there the a point to this? Like, <laughs> not that many more people were being shot, but the death rate was up. I went, I think it was, a, I'm not sure, I think it was Kahneman Hospital in New York, whatever the largest trauma hospital is. And I sat with a trauma doctor. He sure has a way of just rambling. What's the difference? Why 
highest point in the season. Not, not that many more people are being shot. This is not 20 years ago. It was 25 years Thanks, MNSNBC. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stop it there just because I can't stand him. Um, but they should change MSN's last thing to BQ before quality. Yeah. <laughs> so what essentially he's trying to, in some extremely roundabout way, what I got from that is a surgeon told him that a 22 caliber bullet gets lodged in the lung and a nine millimeter bullet will blow the lung out of the body. So therefore, a nine millimeter is a high caliber bullet. You want to talk about high caliber? Do you know Spike Cohen, the guy that ran to, as a yeah, libertarian the VP? VP, yeah. So basically, he was featured on Carlson Tucker. Yeah, Tucker Carlson. Gosh, I'm having a. Um, so, anyways, he he made a comment after he was. I I don't remember all the context, but he said I would like for them to start referring to me as the Bazooka Jew, because there's. <laughs> <laughs> There's a specific video where I guess he's like messing around and somebody let him fire off a bazooka that at a firing awesome. range. So he told them, you know, remember Bazooka Joe? Baz I was just going to say the, <laughs> the Bazooka Joe bubblegum that used to have a little comic. So he, he came up with, he's like, now from now on, I'm asking all media correspondents that if they <laughs> highlight me in any way, shape, or form, that they refer to me as the Bazooka Jew. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a good-hearted character <laughs> he is. He is. Um, okay, so the ridiculousness. Of, so that's a high-caliber weapon, is why I brought that's it. That's a high-caliber <laughs> weapon. Um, the ridiculousness of Biden's comment it, it, it shows that he doesn't know anything about guns or firearms no. or calibers, because nine millimeter is one of the lowest caliber, lowest velocity. Uh, bullets that you can buy. In fact, law enforcement stopped using them because they they were not effective. No stopping they were, power. Yeah, they were bouncing off of windshields and and stuff like that. I use a nine millimeter just because I don't want a, a forty five. I know you you use it. You your carry is a forty five. Uh, yeah, I have a carry forty five. Yeah, your carry is a forty five. Not to I don't I hope that wasn't a secret. I didn't want to give away no. your, your your secret. Uh, dirty Harry over there carrying a, <laughs> carrying a forty five caliber. Weapon. Actually, I carry a fifty ca or four fifty four casual. Yeah, in my <laughs> my my truck. Gun. So when you say, "Are you just happy to see me?" or is that a gun in your pants? It's probably a gun in my pants. <laughs> my truck gun is a fifty BMG. <laughs> <laughs> just carry it on my back. Yeah, I just no. But in all seriously, a, a nine millimeter that is one of the lowest calibers that there is. And in fact, the military and law enforcement stopped using them because of, of how small they are. So it just goes to show you that Biden doesn't know anything, yeah. uh, you know, about guns. He's again, we'll go back to this. The guy that says you don't need an AR by a shotgun and shoot it through the door. That's the dumbest, the, the, the absolute dumbest advice you could have. So the way I, I looked at some of these conversations that are people are having, um, because there's there's a lot of back and forth. Okay, so specifically with regards to the shooting 
you know, suddenly ARs or assault rifles or Armalite rifles, rifles, which is what that actually stands for. Um, Suddenly they're in the news again because they're considered a high-powered rifle. Um, And everybody's like, well, these things were specifically designed for death. It's like, well, truth be told, any gun, if you really want to look at it, could be considered something that was designed for death. It could be death of a rattlesnake. It could be death of... <laughs> it How could be dare death. you? Yeah, exactly, Greta. You tell them. <laughs> you tell them. I know Greta carries. Yeah, Greta she carries. has to. <laughs> she yeah. has to carry. But um, no, the, the point was, what I'm trying to get at here is that, again, they, they always go back to the argument of what is necessary and what is unnecessary. And they never take into context... Again, the larger issue is that, one, it could be that people are just sportsmen. You know, maybe sure. people are just collectors. Maybe and you just like to shoot. Yep. And you have your own range or you go to the range or whatever the case be. Um, two, the bigger, larger issue is why, why, are, why, why is it that the Second Amendment, when it says the right to bear arms, is not specific to a specific type of caliber or anything like that. And why should we never specify any type of caliber? Well, it really, the context is, is it all goes back to that balancing piece. The one piece that we never really get into with regards to the Second Amendment is that it's not so much just about the protection of the state from a foreign aggressor and a person from another person or the person from the state. It's the capacity also to be able to defend oneself. So if you just if you just say Second Amendment right to defend, that is a very broad statement. Sure. So you can basically say it's like the right to defend just means that you have the right to pick up a rock and smash somebody in the well, head with it if they're coming after you. I mean, that's specifically why they said the right to bear arms and not the right to own muskets yeah. or the right to own guns. Exactly. They said arms, one, because what about what about swords? What about knives? Exactly. What about what about shields? Yeah. What about um you know, shields are considered arms. Hell, if you want to walk around with a fifteenth, fourteenth century crusader shield yeah. in ha- full in full knight hell, armor. There was a guy in California years ago that was standing out in the middle of Pasadena Boulevard with a sword claiming that he was the last one from Highlander. Yeah. So he was like fending off the police with a broadsword. <laughs> I mean, if I mean, you that's want, if you want to be that person, fine, be be my guest. I don't give a shit. But but that's that's why they left it overly broad, though, because it covers any means that 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 a citizen would have to defend itself. It, it covers the ammo. It covers the gun. It covers swords. It covers shields, and and and. It's it's um what's what's the word? It's backwards compatible because <laughs> it, it's backwards compatible because that arms also covers whatever is invented in the future. Yeah. So it covers body armor. It covers ammunition cartridges. Yeah. It covers, you know, in my opinion, I am a, a Second Amendment absolutist, and I know that I get a lot of flack for that, but I do believe that I should be able to own whatever the government owns. Yeah. Because how am I supposed to defend myself against the government if I can't be on an equal playing field? With and that's them? and that's what it boils down to. Now, the the question comes up is does it make logical sense for somebody to own an F sixteen Tomcat or you know is that what the Tomcats yeah, are? Yeah. F fifteen Tomcat. F fifteen Tomcat. F sixteen Eagles. Eagles. That's right. Um, 
you know, because there were all these memes going on around for the longest time where everybody was like, you know, this is the libertarian ideal of what defense is, is that I have a tomcat sitting in my backyard. You're damn right. Armed with twisted tea. Armed with twisted tea, <laughs> mind you. Because twisted tea, we know, is the best self-defense yeah, ever. Love- that, that's that video, video that video where that guy just smacks just him upside smacks that him head with the twisted with the, and then he helps him up afterwards yep. hey hey i mean but i twisted t twisted t for all that it is and it isn't emphasized in that video the the most succinct way to demonstrate what the purpose of the second amendment is is that dude smacked the crap out of of a guy with a twisted T that was threatening him or yep. just getting up in his face, sort of like how Mike Tyson's lethal armed and defensed arms right and left were able to knock the crap out of a guy in an airport. I would argue that that twisted T in that moment became an assault beverage. <laughs> yeah, it's an AB. <laughs> <laughs> an assault beverage. It does assault you. I'll tell you that much. But, you know, that being said, but what what was funny about that video is the guy turns around and helps him up. Yeah. The the idea, the underlying idea, and I go back to this old stupid Quaker statement where the Quaker says to the person, sir, I would never harm thee, but thou art standing where I am about to shoot. Yeah. So it just goes to show, I think that if you understand Quakers at all, you understood that Quakers were all pacifists and had no desire to get involved My in wars. My ancestors were Quakers. Yeah, actually. I mean, most pe- a lot of people from Pennsylvania, if they are originally from PA, have some Quaker yep. relations going on there. But Quakers were pacifists. Absolutely. Quakers had no desire to get into wars. In fact, it was the Quaker sentiment, it was the Quaker ideology that was kind of holding up the works with regards to the constitution or the declaration of the independence because they didn't want to separate from britain because they were about they the were peace. they were about peace yep. they felt that there was a middle road they felt that there was a better way to take which is a good thing it's always good to have quaker sentiments yes. you know whether that's defined as quaker or whether it's just defined as pacifistic it, it's always good to have um a, a level head Yes, a level a pacifist in the room when you're when you're talking about going to war or doing anything serious like that. It's always great to have a pacifist in the room, just to kind of bring bring the you know bring a little bit of sensibility to the discussion. So, in my estimations, this is this is how I foresee how the Second Amendment gives capacity or the right to have capacity. And I'm not just talking about the difference between a 10 magazine clip versus a 21 magazine clip. Yeah. I'm not talking about that capacity. I'm talking about um, an end that meets another end or something that meets, something that leverages the playing field, so to speak. Because just to backtrack a little bit, with regards to the, the Revolutionary War, one of the things that changed the war for the Minutemen was guerrillas tactics. Yep. So Which were... Un- unheard, un- unheard of. of because in for anybody to understand warfare tactics back during that time frame it was a gentleman's game in other words it was like playing I, chess. I don't i don't say that because i'm trying to be sexist i say that because the idea was is that gentlemen fought on the battlefield which means they met each other on the battlefield face to face lined up in rows with all their artillery for them to see. Everybody could see all the chess pieces on the board yep. on a battlefield, and then they just went at it. Yep. And then whoever was officers the victor... Officers were off limits. 
officers were off limits. They were supposed to give quarter. They were supposed medics were off limits. Yes, like there was there were there were rules. And so it was a game, so to yeah, speak, with, very that, with much deadly so. consequences. Deadly consequences. But it was a game. But it was it was an accepted rule that whatever <clears throat> transpires here within the scope of these rules decides what the next step is, essentially. So yep. these were these were future deciding events, you know, that were happening, but they were conducted with certain rules. But there was there was a time at which that the desire to be free the desire to be out of the hands of tyrannical government or the the monarchy at that point. There was a desire that so far outweighed the gentleman's game that it demanded for the Minutemen to take a different approach with regards to how they were fighting because nobody could beat the British in that game. Not only that, but I I mean, it was more than just, it was more than just a desire to win because the Brits were, 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 we're not playing by the rules either no. in certain other ways. Yeah, that's true. So like there were, you know, they were completely blockading um, entire towns. They were rounding up entire towns and churches and then yes. burning down the churches. That's true. There were m- major war crimes that were going on prior to uh, the guerrilla tactics that were taken. So, so the so the question would be is if they had not resorted to those tactics would the war had been fought in the same fashion yeah. and manner and, and, that it's always been fought? And that's a good question. That's a good question because we'll never know. Yeah. But had my thought would be because uh, General Washington was in charge of the Continental Army, my thought would be is him being the gentleman. We all know the gentleman that he was. Yeah. And he was big on the rules, and he was a very uh, level-headed, uh, level-headed guy. He followed the the rules of war. My thought would be is had Britain not pushed the envelope, then the Continental Army wouldn't have pushed the envelope and started to started to resort to, you know, uh, killing officers and, and things like that. And another another big advancement was the invention of rifling about halfway through the yeah. war. Uh, the United States, um, they, we, we weren't the United States yet, but the Continental Army um started fitting their muskets with rifling so they could get an extra 20, 25 yards out of their bullets so they could start firing before the British could even reach us. Yeah. So they could start hitting targets. And then they were really accurate with the rifling, so they started targeting officers, and you could you could hit an officer in the field from 100 yards or, whatever, I don't know, 50 well, yards, whatever the range was. Well, I mean, at that point, it's, it's really, it's like, I get the whole gentleman's off limits with regards to officers, but at the same time, it's, you know, cut the head off of the snake. And that's, that was the thought. But, you know, in, in modern or in, or in early warfare, uh, early modern warfare, um, it was thought that if you cut the head off the snake, then you would have um, order, or, yeah, orderless armies. In, and they were right. They were absolutely right about that because think of how warfare is today. Yeah. It's anarchy. It's chaos. There's no organization to it. You don't know who the enemy is. You don't know, you know, and, and that is the downfall of the, the the transition we made into current modern warfare. And it was our, in my estimation, it was our revolutionary war that turned the tide on the way that war is fought. Yeah. Um, in that and, regards, yes. And, and and now it's gotten to be bloodier, but there's something to be said about the organization to it. But I guess the point is um, that without us 
um, you, you know, in reality, without us turning towards those guerrilla tactics and using exactly. those things, we we certainly wouldn't have beaten the British. I don't think, even with the greatest commander uh, that the United States has ever seen, I don't think Washington could have stood toe to toe with the greatest military force the world had seen at the time. No, I mean, he was a brilliant commander, but at the same time, you still have to have the resources. He still got his ass kicked yeah. from time to oh, time. Oh, many times. Y- you know what I it mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't like um, Superman rolling in. Like It wasn't until um, them extending the war into the winter. That's another decision. If they If they would have given up, like a lot of people don't know that <laughs> wars used to take a break. Yeah, they would they would like time out, <laughs> yeah. time out for yeah. the winter yeah. because neither side wanted to fight in the cold and lose. You would lose soldiers to to famine and yep. and disease. So you just called the war off for the winter, and Washington's like, no, yeah, no, we're we're close, we're close. Um, we're just going to keep pushing them back, and that's when he crossed the Delaware yeah. in the middle of the winter and freezing cold. He's, everybody knows the pictures, yeah. and he won the war because of them pushing through the winter. Because um, one, you know, not to get too much into military tactics, but one, an invading army doesn't have the supplies that a standing army does. That's so true. the invading army is has to bring food from. England. They have to bring munitions from England. We have food. We have everything right here. So if we can push them into the winter, we can survive a lot longer than they can, yeah. was the thought. And they would just happen to be right. So, I mean, it all boils back to that idea of capacity. That's what the Second Amendment is there for, is to allow people not only have the right to defend themselves, but to have an adequate means by which to defend themselves. Absolutely. So, and I think that's really what it boils down to. Now, do I think do I think people should have bazookas in their house? I, I don't think there's any necessity for it, but at the same time, you know, if that person is of sound mind, <laughs> sound judgment, and I mean... That's, it, and that's the, that's the thing. If the person is of sound mind and sound judgment, then tell me a reason why they couldn't have. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where it... Yes, yes, the bazooka is designed <laughs> for one thing, but at the same time, it's, you know, we could start expanding that definition to a lot of things. We could expand the definition of, like, here's, here's an example that I used with a conversation I had with somebody. Um, I pointed out that st- statistically, for the last however many years, every year there's anywhere between 10,000 to 11,000 deaths, deaths that are recorded each year due to alcohol and driving. In other words, driving under driving the influence. Under the influence. Drunk driving. Alcohol and driving by themselves are both allowed practices. Either one of them by themselves could potentially hurt somebody. Uh, somebody could drink themselves into poisoning and die from it. Somebody could drive themselves off of a cliff or fall asleep at the wheel and drive into a barrier or whatever the case be. There's or, there's a lot of situations. Or in an actual example, like in Charleston, Virginia, they can decide to take their car and drive it into a crowd full of people and try to kill as many people as they want. Exactly. So it's now granted, does that happen as often? No, it doesn't happen as often. But at the same time, the understanding is there is that the capacity there for either one of those events by themselves to cause harm are there. Joined together when we combine alcohol and combine driving as an activity, we've outlawed that. Yes. Because statistically, we have seen that 
it is a very unsafe practice that if somebody's drinking and driving, there's a good chance that they will not have control of said vehicle. And the vehicle then becomes essentially a weapon. The, I mean, for, for the better way, way of putting, for no better way of putting it, your car, whatever that car is, whether it's a, a ghetto piece of crap, you know, that has its window missing or it's a Ford F-350 with dual rear, rear tires or, you know, it doesn't matter what the vehicle is. As soon as you combine alcohol with the driving activity and it becomes one singular activity, you've just increased your capacity to be able to harm somebody. Absolutely. And that's the one reason why we outlaw it. So the thing of it is, is that what we're trying to say is that we're trying to say that alcohol, in this case, the gun and the mentally disturbed person, which is the driver, you know, whatever you want to say, are, yes, by themselves, they, a, a mentally disturbed person could harm themselves in a number of ways. They could harm somebody any number of ways. They could stab you with a knife. They could wait to your sleep and try to suffocate you with a pillow. I'm yeah. not trying to give people ideas yeah. here. So if you have somebody that you really don't like, I'm not trying to give you any <laughs> pointers here. So please, please don't subscribe to our channel for like best ways to kill off an ex or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's not what our point is here. <laughs> but anyways, the, the, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is that people logically recognize whether you're liberal or whether you're conservative or somewhere in the middle, people recognize you don't, it doesn't take a whole lot of logic to understand that a gun does nothing by itself. A gun sits there. It looks at you. Alcohol does nothing by itself until you start ingesting it. So as soon as you put the two together, as soon as you take the mentally disturbed individual, whatever that mental disturbing thing is that's causing them to be so violent or off the edge, as soon as you put a means by which to commit acts of violence, suddenly, you know, you have a greater capacity for damage. Sure. You have a greater capacity for damage. But does having a greater capacity for damage make it more wrong than the person who's able to kill one person with a knife versus many people with a gun? You, you see where I'm going with this? Is that... Does many versus one make it any less different? Does, does me having a knife in my pocket and somebody, me going after somebody and stabbing somebody and killing that person make it any less worse than me picking out a gun and shooting 10 people? No, because the fact of the matter is, is nothing would have ever happened had you excluded the factor of the mentally disturbed person from that. There would have been no driving DUI accident had you excluded alcohol from the person who was driving. The point is, it's not the number. We always get into the statistics piece. Like, you know, something's okay or something's more wrong because of statistics. You know what I mean? Statistics don't make something more wrong or less right. Yeah, it, it, it's this idea that capacity is not there. The capacity is not allowed with the intention of making it more available for people that are disturbed to commit greater acts of violence. The idea of capacity was established with the understanding is that if there ever should be a situation in which citizens of the U.S. were threatened by a tyrannical government, let's say the British 
you yeah. know, of 1776. And they were being threatened by a more well-armed, well-trained, technologically advanced, tyrannical government that wants to put them under their thumb, take away their rights, take away everything that pretty much guarantees them any kind of human dignity. How else are you supposed to balance that out if you don't give the underdog essentially a means by which to increase their capacity to defend themselves, to level the playing field yes. is really what I'm getting at. So, and I think we don't, they don't discuss it from that perspective. It's always, well, it's this, you know, this style of guns always been used for this or this style of guns always been this. That's not the argument. Who cares? Who cares? It's, yeah, it's not about the method. Yeah. The, the real question that we were not getting into is why is there such an increase in general violence? Why do we have kids now that are doing this kind of stuff? Because before it was a, it was a gentleman's game. Yeah. We go back to that. Before violence was a gentleman's game. You know, we talk about, people talk about when they grew up back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, further back than that even. We talk about when there were disagreements, people would fight. Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. People would beat the crap out of each other and that would be the end of it, basically, in most cases. But, you know, there was, guns were not, not available at that time. Guns were even less. Less restricted. Less restricted. They were back. more available. And I make that argument quite often. Um, you know, we've had guns go back to the how we started the podcast. It wasn't until 1934 that there were any restrictions on guns. So for 143 years, there were absolutely no restrictions on the purchase of guns. No age restrictions, no nothing. Uh, my dad tells stories about him going to Wool, Wool, Woolworths? Yeah. Woolworths. Yeah. With a note from his dad. <laughs> <laughs> to buy a rifle. I think I think that was the story. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was not the story. But at any rate, maybe he was just saying you could do that. I don't know if he actually did that. But you could get a note from your parents. And you just same thing with alcohol and cigarettes. Exactly. You know, you can get a note from your parents at, at 10 years old and go down to the corner store and get a, get a six-pack of beer and a pack of cigarettes for your parents. Except if you were old enough to live through prohibition. And yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, but you could also do the same thing with a gun. A 16-year-old yeah. at one point had no problem walking into a Woolworths and walking out with a shotgun or a rifle. Uh, my dad even tells stories, and I, I hate to go back with these, oh, my dad says, but, like, my parents' generation drove to school with pickup trucks with gun racks in their back windows yeah. and the guns were in the windows and they were loaded ready to go hunting after school yep so and there was no problem with it there's uh, the story about the school shooting i think it was in texas back in the 60s there was a somebody threatened to do a school shooting so all the kids went home and got their guns <laughs> all the kids went home and got their guns and stood on the stood at the steps of the school with their weapons no shooting ever came why do you think that is yeah you know what I mean? So we have this entire history of our country where guns were prevalent. They were readily available in large numbers. Everybody almost had them. And there were no mass shootings like we have today. What changed? Yeah, it has nothing to do with caliber. It doesn't matter if you were shooting 30-06 back then or if you were no. shooting 9 millimeter and that's today. A stupid, that's a stupid argument because... The, if you're going to argue caliber, the deer rifles, my deer rifle that I hunt deer with would 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 decimate a human being in comparison to an AR-15. Yeah. I would never use an AR-15 for deer hunting. The well, caliber is too small. Well, here's the other thing, too. And this is something that they don't point out. All states, 
as far as I'm aware, even the ones that are m more free with regards to Second Amendment rights, all states require you to be 21 to own a handgun. Yes. You That's cannot. Federal. You That's cannot. Federal. You cannot own a handgun if you're under 21. You cannot. That if if some kid ends up with a handgun, it's it's either because he stole it, or because some crazy gun owner shop or some private owner sold it to him and he's going to get in trouble for having done yeah. that. But every gun, every, every legit gun dealership is going to require you to be 21 or older to buy a handgun. So that completely takes away any of these excuses that handguns are a problem. They can't make that argument. So now they go to ARs Yep. because ARs. So, my understanding, here's my thought on it, and you may disagree with me on this. I most likely will, but let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Between 16 and 21 is usually the age groups um, that I find that kids are hunting. That's usually the hunting age, age yeah. 16 to 21. It might be a little younger than that. Well, with my, some. My, my boy has been hunting since he was five, but if you talk about actually going out in the, the woods by yourself... Yeah. And hunting, you it's have usually, to, it's legally, you have to be 16 before you can do that. So, and that's, that's not what I want to bring up, but I want to bring up about the, them actually going and purchasing a gun on their own with their own money. Okay. My thought is that, and I think this is the case. Now, correct me if I'm wrong I, on this. Sure. Yeah. But my understanding is that if you're under 21, you still have to have parental consent with purchase of a rifle? No. You do not. When you're 18, you can buy a long gun and there's, okay. there's no questions asked. My my personal thought is that I wouldn't have a problem with requiring parental consent. I'm not saying restrict it. Sure. I'm not saying you can't buy, but I'm saying you have to have somebody parental wise. And here's the reason why I say that. Sure. Just to preface it is that under 21, with regards to the school shootings that have been happening, it seems like most of the shootings are happening with that age group of 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that ballpark. Most of the 21-year-olds, and I'm just making a blanket statement here, most of the 21-year-olds that I come into contact with are pretty cognizant and aware, have had enough experience under their belts, whether it be through college or working or just general life, to know what's good and what's bad, you know, sure. to some extent. Um, but at the same time, I think there's still those developmental years between 16 and 21 that, I mean, think of it like this from this perspective. You have to be 25 to get off your parents' insurance. Um, yep. You have to be, there's 25 is kind of the marker. I don't think we should raise it to 25. I'm just saying. But at the same time, you know, if they were to raise, let's just say hypothetically, they were to raise put into place that you have if you're 16 to 21 in order to own a gun it actually has to be in the name of your parent or guardian or whoever that is um then i also think that 21 year olds should be excluded from military service i that's that's my caveat no, i can if, if you'll let me for a second i i i see where you're i see what you're saying um i don't i don't disagree with it fundamentally but i will caveat you know what you said. If if we're gonna agree that eighteen year olds aren't aren't mentally fit and aren't mature enough to own a long gun, then we have to concede that eighteen year olds then are also not mentally fit enough 
I agree. and not mature enough for military service. I agree. So that, and that's that's why I started to say the point about military. I my thing is that we have to establish what constitutes age mature. Because now, you can't have it. You, you can't have your cake and eat it too, so to no. speak. You can't say that they're. You can't say that eighteen-year-olds aren't mature enough, and then send them off to a foreign country with with a M sixteen, exactly. a fully automatic weapon. Exactly. You're 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 you're, you're, you're hypocritically uh, contradicting yourself at that point. You can't have it both ways. So I'm with you. If we're going to raise the age of long guns to 21, I, I'm I, I have a problem with that, but I'll I, I have a problem with that in the sense that historically, the revolution, the average age of a soldier in the Revolutionary War was, was 17. Younger, 17. Yeah. So, but, but I'll I'll concede that a 17 year old in 1776 was more mature because they were they had to be they were thrown into life at you know 12 13 they were they were they were adults by 17 because the life expectancy was 35 yeah so i'll concede that but if we're gonna if we're gonna make the argument that 21 is the age then 21's got to be the age for everything it's got to be a hard and fast age for everything it's got to be the age for everything and that's what i'm getting at is that i think that for there 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 is Again, I don't it's not 20 it's not until 21 that you can own. It's until 21 that you can't own un, without parental ownership. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. But going back to what you're saying, yeah. And you shouldn't be requiring uh, a 21-year-old or younger to be able to serve in the US military in foreign defense or whatever the case be if you aren't allowed to carry a gun legally within the yep. U.S. until that age. That makes sense. But I also think that that then extends to other conversation pieces. I think that extends to voting age. Sure. I think that extends to this whole uh, should a child or a girl under 21 be able to have an abortion without parental consent? You, and, you know what I mean? And it, this, it, is, this, is, this is a very uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable discussion, but if we're going to have the discussion, we need to have the legitimate discussion. Yeah. You have to have the full discussion. So we're saying that guns, that, that, that kids under 21 aren't responsible enough to own guns, then we have, we have to, we have to revisit the age of adulthood. Yeah. We just have to. We do. Completely across the board, because you can't say, for instance, that... Um, I've always had a problem with the drinking age, uh, being 21. Um, I I agree with why it's 21, but you to to me it seems ridiculous that. And I go back to the the military thing. It seems ridiculous to me that we can send a child off to war. Yeah. But he can't have a beer. Yeah. That just seems yeah. ridiculous to me. So if we're gonna talk about, and I understand that physically, um, a, a human being is at its peak between 18 and 25. Yep. So you're saying we're cutting off two, what is that? That would be three years. Three years of optimal um, physicality, we'll call it, out of out of a, a human being that, that won't be able to be used for military service. 
but you can't have it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You you have to you if you're going to concede and you're going to say that okay, this child is not mature enough to own an AR-15, then he's also not mature enough to uh, you know uh, carry live grenades and exactly. uh, an M16 with thousands of rounds in in a foreign land. You just I'm willing to make the concession, but if we're gonna, if if you're gonna have gun on, gun owners make the concession, and <laughs> it's it's a selfish thing for me because I'm willing to make that concession because I'm 38. It doesn't affect me. Yeah, I'm willing to say take the guns away from the 18 to 21 yeah. year olds because I'm not one anymore. Had I when I was 19, I'd have fought you tooth and nail because I, I you know. Well, the the thing, the tough thing about establishing hard and fast ages with regards to maturity is that we know that. There are some kids that just mature a lot quicker. There are some kids that are just brought up in a way to where, whether it be experiential or whether it be training or whether it be schooling or whatever you want to throw into that mix that, yeah. you know. And that discussion can be had for everything, though. Yeah. You know, I was driving at 12. I mean, it was it was on the farm. I wasn't on the roads. Yeah. But my dad would let me drive the truck down to the river lot with him in it, obviously. Even when I was younger than that, when we were going down to the river, we would get down to the bottom of the field. And as soon as we hit the cornfield, I would sit in his lap and I would drive the drive the uh, drive the truck in his lap. You know, when I was like eight years old. Yeah, uh, I could drive a truck or a car or a tractor at 12 but I wasn't legally allowed to drive on the roads until I was 16, and I didn't actually get my full-fledged driver's license until I was 18. Well, the tough part of this conversation is that what we're looking at is that we see that there are whole groupings of kids within that certain age group that are not maturing. And I think that's... I, I'm no, just, just going to put it point blank. There are kids in the U.S. that are just not maturing. They're not growing up. They're not, and I don't mean like physically, I mean mentally. They're not, they're not grasping onto ideas that would serve them well in their futures. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia during the mid to late eighties. I mean, we became the murder capital of the U S woohoo. Yeah. We got awards for that one, Yeah, but I'm just, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these were gang-related violences. Gang-related violences are usually like that age group. You know, you're talking, and sometimes even younger than 16. You're talking like down to yeah. the ages of 12 and younger. The, the problem that we're running into, not to cut you off, but the problem we're running into this con- in this country now is they're starting to recruit 10 and above. Yeah. So you have 10, 11, 12-year-olds oh, yeah. that are murderers in this country. Exactly. Hardcore. I wouldn't fuck with these kids. Yep. Sorry, there goes the swearing again. I wouldn't mess with these kids. Um, and and they're in gangs in these inner cities, and it's dangerous. Yeah. But, but that age is getting younger and younger, too. We're exposing kids to this stuff younger and younger. But, I mean, to your point, yes. Yeah, we have gangs that are pulling these kids in, and, I mean— I even grew up with a number of kids that were in gangs at some point in their lives. They got out of them, of course, at, you know, later on. Sure. But, you know, there's a there's a family mentality that is developed within a gang. And this this is something that would be cool to talk about sometime later on down the road is just because it's not something that really gets talked about too much anymore, at least not that I'm aware of. But with regards to the gangs and everything, they take on a mama, papa type of yeah, you know, familial oh, relationship oh, with regards to those kids, and so absolutely. they're developing. The kids are developing; they're maturing, but they're not maturing 
in a way that is responsible. They're not maturing in a way that, you know, somebody. It's certainly not healthy. With a standard family, you know, would be maturing the way in which they would be maturing. But the bigger issue, too, now is that what we're seeing is we're seeing like the kid that was the shooter down in Texas. We know a little bit of his background. We knew that he lived with his grandmother. Um, We knew that both of his parents were either absent or dead or I I don't remember what the condition was there. We know that. I have a lot of questions about about him. Yeah. I mean, there were. There were red flags there, I guess is the best way to put it. There were, he was in FBI custody yeah. um, because he wrote a paper. I think we talked about this on the last one. He wrote a paper about um, how he wanted to be a school shooter or something along those lines, and the FBI had him in custody, and due process you know, did its job. They had to let him go because they had nothing to hold him on. Yeah. Um, so it's not like that was a major failure. Uh, we have we have the due process in place for a reason. Um but my my question is, how could he afford these weapons? Yeah, that that's a good question too. Because he, all intents and purposes, he had a part time job at Wendy's, um, and he bought four thousand dollars. It it was a little over that four thousand and some change. But he spent four thousand dollars on guns and ammo, and and body armor and and magazines and everything else. But well. I don't. I, I have a decent job. Yeah. And I don't have four thousand dollars laying just around to just away. buy. Yeah. And and he and here's the other thing is he could have went to, he could have went to a Walmart. He could have went to, uh, you know, any other gun shop, and could have bought like I hate I hate to name names, but he could have bought a Smith and Wesson or a Bushmaster, or some other form of AR that would be sub, sub seven hundred dollars. Yeah. A cheap gun, but he didn't. He, he bought one directly from Daniel Defense. Just the AR itself was $2,000. Yeah. So money was no object for him when he was buying. How did he get the money? Well, not for anything, and I haven't read anything about this, but he shot his grandmother before he went on this tirade. So it makes me wonder if there wasn't, like, she had discovered that he just used money that he stole from her. That's just a thought I have. Could very well be. Who knows? There There was an argument there. But the thing of it is is... He he already bought the guns when he when he had this argument with his grandmother. So it makes me feel like there's something there that could be a tie to the the whole thing. But anyways, um, my my point is is that you know he had a guardian. He had somebody in his life. You know whether it was a standard parental unit that we would you know say is a standard parental unit doesn't really matter. He had somebody in his life. But we're seeing other situations. I don't remember the kid. That did the shooting up in Buffalo. What was his parental situation? I don't remember if they said anything about No, I them. think his family was fully intact. Because um, I, I do believe they got quotes from his his mother and father. Okay. Um, and they were obviously devastated. Oh, yeah. Uh, because nobody sees this kind of stuff coming, for the most part. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, I do believe his his family life was intact. And in his manifesto, I think he even said that his that his parents um, didn't agree with his ideology. They knew they knew of his um, his attitudes towards uh, other races and things like that. Knew he was racist and and obviously didn't agree with that. But at the same time, it's your kid. How do you 
you know, how do you disassociate yourself um, from your own child, even even if they are quote unquote evil? It's hard to see the evil in your own in your own child. Yeah, and you know, this is this is the scary point that I think is an important the core discussion that I think needs to be happening in the country is that you have kids that are doing this that you can't point to you know a parental breakdown yes for this having happened now at the same time at the same time they are having an intact parental unit is an absolutely essential piece of any kid developing mentally absolutely into a responsible adult it's very important to have both parents so in the kids in the situation with the kid down in texas that did this shooting you could easily say well look he didn't have an intact parental unit so he was always in trouble and blah 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 so yeah i see that but the kid up in buffalo had an intact parental as far as we know as far as we know I mean, there could have been elements there that we're not looking at. Maybe yeah, and things happen. Things happen behind the scenes. We don't know. Maybe his dad was abusive. Yeah, I, and I'm exactly. Not, I'm not insinuating that's no. the truth at all. But there, there's there's things that can happen that we don't know about. Yeah, his dad could very well have been abusive. His mom could have been abusive. He could have been abused by a neighbor uh, or an uncle or or maybe it was just childhood bullying. But as far as we know, he had a good upbringing in a stable home. Um, all intents and purposes, that's what it seems like. At least the Buffalo shooter. Now the the um, the the kid down in Texas, obviously he had some some other issues. Um, you know, it's it's I, at, at some point you have to. And I had this discussion um, with Scott uh, the one day. At some point you have to recognize that there's. At its base level, there's always a an underlying inherent evil in human beings. There's there's always that that darkness that exists within within every one of us. It's just that most of us most of us have have evolved past that darkness and have found family and friends or maybe church or some sometimes what you know whatever your thing is that makes you feel loved and makes you feel accepted kind of shines too much light on that darkness. But there is a darkness that's inherent to every human being. That's why we have the capacity uh, as human beings to do such evil. So you, you have to at least at some point acknowledge that there is a possibility that we may not be able to that, that it's not even that we may not, that we're not going to be able to, uh, legislate goodness in no, people. No, no. And I've said that before. You can't legislate morality. It's just something that can't be done. Um, you can legislate protections against major harms, you know, such as murder and financial harm and, you know, like we just saw with Johnny Depp and Amber You can Heard. try and reduce that yeah. risk, but the, the fact, in, the you fact is You can't negate that, it completely. Yeah, human beings are inherently evil. I'm not saying every one of us, but yeah. we all... Tell me that you, I mean, if you honestly look at yourself, um, you can find pieces of yourself that have that darkness in them. Even if you're a good person, uh, maybe maybe you have horrible road rage and you like to, to, to shoot the bird 
um, and everybody going down the road. Maybe you get really angry at TV shows. Maybe when you're watching a football game, you like to throw things at the TV. <laughs> I, I mean, we all have, uh, you, I joke, but we all have yeah. that capacity, yeah. the word that you used earlier, we all have the capacity to do bad things. Yeah. It's just most of us have evolved past the uh, the the ability to do those things without guilt and empathy. Yeah. And and I think that's the thing that we're missing. I think too one thing to remember is that if you're if you're in a certain environment whether that be around fam- familial units or whether you're with um mentors whether they be in a religious or non-religious type of setting or whether it's a teaching atmosphere and you have mentorships there or whatever the case be you're you're going to have people hopefully that are feeding positive stuff into your life yeah um you know like for instance say your dad or your mom see you get pissed off at a friend or something and you're you know you know they do something or say something or break your favorite whatever and you know you get ticked off at them but then they intercede in that moment and say, listen, is that you, you're the bigger person yep. by not, you know, those little things that happen, you know, whether, and it has to be, it has to be consistent. Now, at some point, at some point you got, I mean, it's always good to have people in your life that kind of mentor you, that kind of, because there's always going to be new things to learn. There's always going to be new situations, new hurdles, sure, sure. things that you don't have a clear cut answer for. But at the same time, there's a point at which people hit in their development that kind of says, well, this is really wrong. And the way, reason why I say it's really wrong is because I have so much of my life that is weighting me down in the good sense that it's withholding me. It's like an anchor, so to speak. Yeah. You know, It's anchoring you to the good side of decision. So like, for instance, say you do have that little tinge or twinge or capacity for throwing things through your television set when you know yeah. the eagles lost for the 50th time right? you know which yeah. is pretty standard but you know <laughs> but you know, sorry eagles but um that being said you know at the same time you're not going to pick up and throw a rock at your friend's head yeah you know what i mean in your mind you're allowed to throw something at the tv now still not a good thing no you ought to learn some anger management and blah 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 with regards to that but I would say between the two, it's better to throw a rock at the TV than throw a rock at your friend's head because you my know. thing, uh, just to admit my little uh, thing, uh, I get very mad at video games. <laughs> Safe and here. my Elden Ring, don't play that stupid <laughs> game. That freaking game pisses me the hell off. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> for but me, I, but I love it. <laughs> for me, it was an old game, UFC 2009. Um, it's still gets under my skin today but i would throw throw my controllers and i would break my xbox 360 controllers that how old i am i was playing on an xbox 360 but that's how um that's kind of how i learned my anger management because i got tired of buying new controllers (laughs) so it's like all right so maybe i know there's cause and effect and then there's cost and effect exactly exactly (laughs) So my first thing was is I'll all right I'm just I'm gonna buy cheap controllers because yeah. and then then it dawned on me well you dumbass just quit breaking the controllers yeah, exactly so I would start you know leveling it out and when I would get pissed off at a video game I would just walk away and I'm I'm not trying to do a Tony Robbins thing here but but the the the, the moral of the story is is that I evolved 
Yeah. And, and I realized the, the, the darkness that, that I had at that moment. And I, and I, and I just, I changed it. Well, the question was, is like, if, if that had become a political issue, you breaking controllers constantly, exactly. let's, let's say that became the political pivot point of the two candidates that are running for president of the United States in 2024 is you breaking controllers and we need to figure out a way how to make controllers safer and less breakable. So that became the discussion points. Like, should we invest money and time and legislation in making controllers less breakable that you can submerge them, you can kick them, you can stamp them, you can throw them through a window. It's like, I sound like Billy or Billy Mays or whoever it was that used to do the, but should we do that? And then you have the other side of the aisle. It's like, well, maybe. I saw this boat in half. <laughs> or maybe, in you, this is the other person speaking at this presidential debate. It's like, well, maybe you should just teach the person self-control. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I'd hate to oversimplify it. No, I, I know I that what you're I saying, know that though. there's issues that are larger in scope and, you know, whatnot. But, you know, at what point are these kids that are going off the deep end. Yeah. Not learning the qualities and characteristics of self-control and discipline. And I'm going to I'm going to bring up another statistic and I I'm I'm a little hesitant to do so cuz I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but mass shootings in this country account for 0.0001% of gun deaths including school shootings that was as of when uh this is just recently i I did the math there has been uh let me let me see if i can pull this up because this was the discussion that i was having uh with scott the one day um so let me just which if 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 it's based off of gun deaths that makes sense because like i said the the article i pulled up from harvard was saying that 0.05 percent of all mass shootings account for homicides yes so and this is so there is a difference. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, all I all I did was I took the I took the overall population of I can't I can't find the numbers that I that I had sent to Scott, but um, I took the overall number of the population in the United States, which is three hundred and roughly three hundred thirty million, is the number I used, and then I took the number of people that died from. Uh, from mass shootings in the past, uh, I think I went 10 years. So in 10 years, I took the number of people that died from mass shootings. Here it is. Uh, so maybe 3,000 casualties um, was the number of people that's actually been killed by mass shootings since 2009, I think was the, the, the statistic I got from the FBI statistics on uh, crime and gun deaths. So we're talking about 3,000 cal- uh, ca- calories, casualties, <laughs> um, and not even all of these are kids, and okay. not even all of them were killed. These okay. are just casualties. This okay. is who has been wounded, and it, it turns out to be 0.00001% of the entire population. So more people have died in by Tylenol just last year than have died by gun deaths, mass, mass shootings in the entire span of 10 years or something like that. Again, I'm not trying to minimalize yeah. the tragedy because it's it one one death is too many. Yeah. One death at the hands of an evil person is too many. But we're making we're making radical, extremely radical 
um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Policy change, very radical policy change over something that's we're trying to at least yeah affecting less than one percent of one percent yeah of the population. And again, I'm not trying to minimize the tragedy, but we're talking about something that's so rare and so random. You almost have a better chance of being struck by lightning than you do of of you know being the victim of a mass shooting and i get it uh if it's preventable it's preventable um i'm just saying that we're that we're talking about taking away fundamental rights for from the majority of gun owners that are law-abiding gun owners that would never even think to hurt people for a problem that's affecting less than one percent of one percent again not saying we shouldn't do anything but we need to keep keep the scale uh, in, in the forefront of our minds as well. You know, it's it's not that these things aren't tragedies because they are. It's just that, you know, are we going to, are we going to, what's next? Are we going to ban Tylenol? You, you know, are we going to, if we're talking about that, then why, you know, if, if, if the goal is to save as many lives as possible, then, then why not, you know, why not, you know, why not do that? Why not, you know, ban Tylenol? Because that would save more lives than yeah. are lost by mass shootings. Well, I think it goes back to, again, that whole idea is that um, does somebody abusing something, and that's what it really boils down to, is that gun deaths, whether they be intentional or unintentional, are the acts of an irresponsible or in, intentioned, ill-intentioned person. That's a good way of thinking about it. So think about it's it. An, it's an abuse of It guns. is. It's like alcohol abuse. Exactly. And that's what, I, and that's what people don't want to understand. Since we're doing a whole lot of statistics today, st- statistically speaking, and this has been, this, you can find this pretty readily. This is a general number because it changes very radically from one year to the next. But anywhere between 500,000 to 3 million instances of successful defense of a person is logged each year. By the CDC, mind you. By the CDC and other organizations. Like I said, this is readily available. Is, is but I know how the lefties love the CDC. Yeah, exactly. To them, the CDC would be a legitimate source, you would think, because that's where they get all of their statistics on, on COVID and whatnot. Sorry, but, sorry, continue. No, no, you're fine. I, I just I was pointing out the fact that the the general the number that they were throwing out there of gun deaths each year was something to the ballpark of I don't remember what the number was. I think I feel like it was high and I think it was over a period of time, but they were saying something like three, four hundred thousand people or something, something to that effect. And that was scattered across all different circumstances. And it probably and includes suicide. Yeah, I, would I feel imagine. like if you're going to talk about yeah. gun deaths and that, you got to exclude suicide because you can't prevent somebody harming themselves. You, but you know what I'm what I'm trying to frame here is that so if they're if they're stati- if they're seeing that every year there are up upwards of three million successful defenses that are happening with the use of responsible sure. guns, responsible gun ownership is contributing to that statistic happening because these are not 
gang members that are successfully defending themselves from somebody aggressing against them yes. because that wouldn't make its way into nope. that statistic. They're not going down to East L.A. and talking to the Bloods and the Crips and asking them, when was the last time you had a shootout and you successfully defended yourself against the opposing gang member? They're not asking them no. those questions. No. These are questions that are being asked to people in situations. Because snitches get stitches. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But my point is, is that, okay, let's say you have this many murders, killings happening for whatever the, the situation because of guns. And then on this side, you have this many successful defenses that far outweighs the number of murders that are happening, you know, quote unquote murders or homicides or accidental shootings or suicides or whatever culminates into that number or whatever the sum in total is. Um, if you were to be giving it fair coverage, you would be saying, it's like, listen, we've got an obvious problem in this country. And the, com the problem is, is that we have too many murders happening. We have too many misuses and abuses of guns happening. But we we're not we know that the it's not the gun's fault because there are people there are more people that are defending themselves successfully that are cutting down on crime in situations because of their responsible ownership but they're not framing it that way and that's the thing is they're not showing it in perspective yeah they're not putting it in they're into only perspective. showing you one they're side only of the showing story. one side of the story and that has been the long-standing case for a long time with regards to the media and certain politicians and you know, and all that. So they're framing this narrative. So what you have essentially is in the news, you have just, and we talked about this before in other podcasts, Colum Balling for Columbine, which... It's a good documentary. It is. It as is. much as I hate Michael Moore, I don't want to say hate. No. Uh, I, he's I just don't, annoying. I don't like his drivel. Yeah, he's um, annoying. Yeah. I don't, but he, he hits some stuff. He hit some pretty good stuff in there. And the one big thing was that he was comparing Canada and the U.S. and more so the the exposure that the populace has to general violence in terms of how the news reports. Especially, especially in the news. The news in Canada now, I'm not trying to give them any kind of major freedom award because the news, um, the news in Canada is state sponsored. It's yeah. not it's not as free as it is in the United yeah. States. It's 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 state-regulated news. But at the same time, it's less sensational yeah. than American news. Um, I think I think what the the news is part of it, um, and I and I think that, you know, if you if you if you go up to Canada and you watch their news, it's less it's less rhetoric um, and and more uh, matter of fact, matter of factness. Yeah. Um, it's just, they kind of, they kind of get on and tell you what happened. They don't really show a lot of graphic stuff. Yeah. Um, and they don't sensationalize things like mass shootings and stuff that happens now. Granted, um, you know, Canada's kind of at this point overcorrecting, if you, if you want my opinion, because of what happened in Uvalde, they're now freezing handguns in in Canada. And in my opinion, was uh, Trudeau was just waiting for an excuse because handguns weren't even used. No, in in the in the uh, in the shooting, and they're banning handguns I, across I, Canada. I refer to Trudeau as the smiling fascist. Oh yeah, oh he's definitely a fascist. And Ottawa, 
Um, for those that don't know, Ottawa is the capital of Canada. That's there, Washington, D.C. Um, Ottawa is over 2,000 miles away from Uvalde. Yeah. So something that happened in another country 2,000 miles away uh, is an excuse for Justin Trudeau to ban handguns in Canada. Well, it just goes to... Sh- and they have, like, you know, per capita, they have probably a lot less violence than we do in the U.S. And for them to feel that it's necessary to ban something that's not guaranteed to them in their constitution, but is guaranteed to us in our constitution for them to ban that just goes to show that they, when you have certain powers in control, they look for every excuse, every opportunity to step on your toes. And again, that was the, the genius and the beauty of our founders is they knew, um, see Canada has a positive constitution. Uh, we've talked about this yeah. before. And it's not really a constitution. They they call it the bill, the 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 designation of rights, or the the I don't remember what they call it. But uh, they have a constitution, but it's it's not like ours. Um, and um, so what their constitution does is it establishes what the government is supposed to do. It it it's it says po- things that the government is supposed to do for yeah. the citizens. The genius of our constitution in the United States is is a negative constitution. Yeah, it draws a line. It, it limits what the government can do. Yeah, it limits what the government can do. It doesn't tell. It doesn't give the government powers. It limits the government's powers. Yeah. Um, it says, you know, and then at one point it does say whatever's not specifically given uh, in the constitution is designated to the states. So whatever's not. Whatever's not whatever power is not given to the government in the Constitution is appropriated to the states, and then it also limits what the government is allowed. Or it 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 specifically tells the government what it's not allowed to do. It's not allowed to make any laws that abridges freedom of speech, religion, press. It's not allowed to infringe upon uh, citizens' right to bear arms, which it has done extensively. Um, so that's the beauty, I think, of our constitution, not to say that one's better than the other, that could be debated. Um, but that's what I feel makes our constitution, um, a more acceptable constitution because it, it specifically limits what the government is allowed to do. Yeah. It can't, cannot under any circumstances do this. Well, they wrote the constitution with the assumption, understanding that a government will take whatever, well, you give the government an inch, it takes a foot. Yep. So you have to restrict the government. You have to, you have to set hard and fast lines that it can never cross. And they anticipated yeah. that, that uh, they knew at some point that the power of the federal government would get larger than the power of the individual oh, yeah. citizen. And that's why they wrote the, the at, when, when the, in 1791, when the constitution was ratified, the federal government was nothing. Yeah. It was, it, it was barely a thing. Um, you know, the States had all the power yeah. and, and, and that's still the way that it, I feel it should be because I think it was, it was either Milton Freeman or Thomas Sowell um, that said, um, uh, "How did he? How did he say it? Um, that the government? I lost it. I had a, they essentially it was saying that kind of like what you said. If the government takes, if you give the government an inch, it'll take a mile. Um, maybe I'll come back to it, but." 
at any rate, there's there's supposed to be a limitation on what the government could do yeah. because it will get it will it will balloon and it will get out of control. My definition of government is just another bunch of people that think they can run another bunch of people's lives better than they can. So yeah. the consensus on government has to be reached by both sides of the aisle in order for government to work. Yeah, you know, is really what it boils down to. But what I was what I was trying to say earlier with regards to, um, you know, with news and the different cycles that happen in Canada and the cycles that happen here and how we report stuff, you know, there, it, it's a balancing act between free speech and, you know, deeming that which is harmful, I think, you know, trying to figure this out. So I think the, the consensus was is that we came up with gradings at one point you know back during the 80s and 90s we came up with these gradings for different mature content you know whether it be music whether oh, it sure. be okay whether it be movies doing. whether it be so and i think to some extent you know we we have kind of gotten away from this idea that you know if you don't if not gotten away from the idea we we have the idea but we don't have the the necessarily the enforcement of those ideals in in other words we're both in it nowadays the big thing is multi-factor authentication sure and for those of you that work for a company or have you know business you know if you don't have multi-factor authentication you got to make get sure it. that's enabled because get otherwise you're going to get hacked and everything do it get do it yesterday i know it's annoying but it's necessary but multi-factor authentication um is something that you can put into place but necessarily not enforce you know what i mean sure it's it's a it's a hard and fast rule that's there for the betterment of the people on the other end of the stick but if it's not enforced it has no value it has absolutely no teeth. so my thought is this is that we believe in freedom of speech but we also believe that we ought to act as conscience conscious human beings in other words sure. we ought to be able to look at something and be able to determine whether or not it's good for us or not now as a parent your your primary responsibility is to become a filter sure for your 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 responsible intendee <laughs> or <laughs> your uh your exception on your 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 uh your uh, taxes every year or whatever yeah. you want to call them but yeah. um that being said, you know, you become an active filter for them. You know, the idea is that you're actively looking at stuff that they're looking at, that you're actively hearing stuff that they're hearing, that you're actively at I least, watch my oh, kids' devices all the time. Yeah. I'm checking them out. He you know and here not not I don't want to step on you again, but I, I get where you're going. Um and uh I'll you know what, I'll let you finish and then I'll make my point. No, I uh, not too much more on this, but I was just gonna say is that what we're whether we have intact parents or not or whether we have just a guardianship or whether we have no parents there's got to be somebody there in that person's life acting as a filter sure you know everything they read everything they look i mean look at the social sphere now with twitter reddit with all the different uh discord all the different underground methods by which people can communicate nowadays yep. which i'm perfectly fine with i believe in free speech i believe yep. in freedom of communication I believe at in the same time I believe that some of this is overload for kids under certain ages. I believe that kids are getting fed so much crap through through the social sphere that there's got to be an active filter there. And I'm not talking about net nanny. 
you know, which or was a an government old, filter. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about a human organic interactive filter that's there, cognizantly aware of everything that they're ingesting mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, and making critiques, active critiques of what they're ingesting, and saying, "Oh, they, yeah, you're not going to listen to that anymore. That's just way off the yeah. deep end." Or yeah, maybe we ought to leave that till you're older. Or you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I, I mean, <clears throat> I'm a parent. I have a 12 year old son. Very difficult age when it comes to the internet. Just gonna throw that out there. You can you could take that for <laughs> for what you will. <laughs> um, but I don't have. I have very minimal content filtering on my internet. Um, his devices uh, are Google devices, so I do have some. Um, you know, parental stuff on the devices themselves, but I don't content filter my internet. Um, what I do is I monitor his devices. Yeah. So I allow him the freedom to make mistakes. Yeah. So he has the freedom to go whatever to whatever website he wants to go to. I've gotten him to the point though where he, there were some times I'll be honest where some questionable stuff was on his devices. He's a young boy, curious and, and growing up. So I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to send him away to some Jesus camp because he's seen a couple of boobies on, on the internet. Um, <laughs> but what I do is when I, every once in a while, I just walk into his room and I, I say, hand me your tablet. And right there in front of him, I look through his internet browsing history I look through his stuff. It's fa- It's kind of fascist when you think about it, but m- my house is not a democracy. Yeah, that's like a teacher I used to work for. He used to sc- tell the kids, it's like out there is a democracy yeah. inside in, here. In here is a, a we're an autocratic dictatorship. <laughs> so I, I just say, hand me your device. And then if I see something inappropriate, I point it out to him and I say, okay, why is this not appropriate for you to be looking at? And he kind of gets embarrassed and we have a talk about it. But I've gotten him to a point where he doesn't really look at that stuff anymore. Yeah. And why? Because I've given him the freedom to make the mistakes. And I don't have to I, I don't have to censor him. Yeah. He's I, self-censoring. He's self-censoring now. Point, yeah. And 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 I think that should be the goal of all parents. Maybe that's not gonna work for every parent. You know what I mean? But I've been lucky enough where I have a rational twelve year old son where I can say, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be objectifying women at 12 years old. You know what I mean? Porn is not good for anybody, let alone somebody with a adolescent mind. Yeah. It's going to warp your perceptions of reality. Yeah. And it's, it's not healthy for a 12 year old. No. In my opinion, it's not healthy for a 25 year old, but that's not my, that's not my judgment. When you're 18, if you want to look at boobies, look at boobies. My point is we don't necessarily have to have a nanny state no. that tells, you know, that says you can't have this and you can't have this. What we need is we need some sort of guidance and education. We need to teach these kids empathy and, and the value of human life. I'm just going to come out and say it. We live in a society that says that before birth, a person is nothing but a clump of cells. How's a child going to feel about its self-esteem if it thinks, oh, well, I'm I'm nothing, you know. Before before I was born, 
there is no value on my life. So what does life really mean? Yeah. You, you know, when we, when we, when we devalue human life and glorify violence the way that we do in our society, unfortunately, I feel like these are the repercussions we're going to have. Well, and that's, and that's the thing is that whether they do it knowingly or unknowingly, because the thing of it is, is that you'll have, I always blame media, but there's more aspects to it than media. It's, it's more, it's more involved than just media. Media is just a one-off, but at the same time, you know, you'll see that media condemns, but at the same time promotes. Sure. So it's like, you know, shit in one hand and wish in the other and see which one fills up the fastest, you know, and that's kind of the media. It's like, you know, they have just this, they have this misconstrued idea of what it means to be responsible when it comes to reporting this stuff. Um, but at the same time, the, the government has gotten to a point where when it believes itself more capable than guardianship or parent parental units to be able to become that filter, like you were giving the example of, um, over the long expanse of their age up till 21 or whenever they're out of the household and doing their own thing or whatever. You're under my roof. I don't care if you're 18 or 38, you're under my roof. You're living by my rules. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a common parents. I would say that's a pretty common understanding that parents kind of try to convey, but there's been this overarching desire, I think in some ways from government powers or from think tanks or whoever you want to throw the blame at with trying to whittle down this idea or dilute this idea that parental units or guardianship have any real impact on their development. And really what it boils down to is that uh, kids will only grow up into mature adults if you have the right legislation in place to control them to act as their guardrails. You know, you and that's mean, dangerous. I that think. is very dangerous. And I think that's unbeknownst to ourselves is that in many ways, whether it's direct or indirect, whether we know that we're peddling this ideology is that's what's happening. And so then what happens is that you're cultivating unknowingly or knowingly, you're cultivating these individuals like what happened in Texas and what happened in Buffalo is you're cult- cultivating these individuals or giving them so much free room to kind of bounce off of the walls so to speak, that they're they're not finding any steady middle road between the two extremes in you know in, in, in their in their walk from day to day. So you you've got these situations developing more and more because you have this overarching desire to control and you have this overarching desire to strip control from others. So you know it's this conflict again of you know which person has the better idea as to how to raise the child. You know government is just another person. The parent is just another person, but the parent has more involved, more, more to lose, so to speak, in that situation than the government does. Absolutely. So from that perspective, say the government less, more hands off and the parent more hands on. And I think that's an important factor that we need to look at is that have we allowed ourselves, have, have parents allowed themselves or guardians allowed themselves to unconsciously be bullied into the corner, out of the realm of managing or becoming those filters, becoming those those 
soundboards for their kids, becoming those breakpoints. In other words, where the kid's a wave and suddenly hits the breakpoint of dad or breakpoint of mom and no longer goes any further because they suddenly hit an opposing opinion or an imposing rule. <laughs> you know that well, mom. I think, I think it's 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 easy to say another. This is going to be another, you know, uh, cancel me moment. But I think that a lot of a lot of the problem is is that um, the teeth. Uh, so to speak, have been taken away from the parents. I would say so. Um, yeah. Meaning, well, look at the look at Florida. Not to cut you off, no, but sure look fine. at Florida with the with the bills with the, yeah, the educational bills. Exactly. And but what I mean by that is parents are almost afraid to punish their kids because the kid's going to go to school, and the the kid is maybe going to exaggerate the punishment. Now I'm not saying. Just to preface what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that it that you should be allowed to beat your kids or that you know child abuse is okay or anything like that. However, I am going to say that every once in a while a spanking is not going to hurt a child. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that a good spanking at a young age will make it so that you don't have to spank them. I haven't spanked my kids since he was five. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I don't have to. I've, yeah. I've, 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 I've established, I've established that quote unquote threat, and I don't need to use it anymore because he knows, you know, if he pushes my buttons too far, what the consequences are. And again, they were they were extreme measures for extreme activity. Yeah, like they when were, you, It wasn't like he just said something no, off and he, immediately when he, when he sets mattresses on fire, <laughs> there has to be an extreme consequence for yeah. that. Um, so, you know, but that, what it does is it, it, it gives the kid the idea like, okay, I don't want to push this too far because there is a, there is a consequence coming at the end of this. But if you take that ability for parents to correct their children, and I'm, again, I'm not saying go out to the yard and pick out a switch uh, or, or uh, taking off your belt and beating your kids with a belt, not advocating for that at all. I'm not an advocate of child abuse, but what I am saying is. Uh, you know, allowing the option to be there uh, so that kids don't know. Uh, like right now, it, it I've, I've had the conversation where it's like, hey, if you don't knock that off, I'm going to spank you. And he's like, okay, if you do that, I'm going to tell the teacher and they're going to call the cops on you. And my retort has always been, well, you better tell them to send an ambulance too because if I'm going to jail, <laughs> I'm going to make this worth my while. Um, so, but my point is, is that I think, Part of the problem, and it's a very slim part of the problem, but it, it there's a lot of things that add up. And I think part of the problem is, is parents don't have any teeth anymore. Yeah. And, and no, I agree. Pa- parents are somewhat afraid to punish their children where a lot – hell, there's even school districts that say that, you know – taking taking tv time away from your kids or or having screen limit hours is abusive and that's absolutely ridiculous well it's like dhs department of human services and then coupling that with the educational board one of the biggest fights that's been happening over the last couple of years probably well, probably longer than that is just this idea of transparency between the parent and the child it's almost like this idea of ownership like suddenly Suddenly, the school board thinks they own their child, or DHS owns your child. And now, here's the thing: that. here's the balance to that: is that DHS has done some good work. Sure, DHS has gotten themselves involved in situations that were legit abuse of cases where 
Children were being mistreated or not taken care of. They weren't being fed. They were just being left to rot. Essentially, we, you yourself did a, an entire episode on the two kids that were killed, yep. Yep. you know, that were left to die, had DHS gotten involved directly or had had the right information been there at the right time. I'm you know. still looking into that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just for those that have listened to that episode, I'm still looking into that. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot that, that's come out, but children and youth were called on several occasions uh, for the neglect of those children and nothing was, nothing was ever done. So um, just, just, I mean, those, those safeguards are in place, but they're not perfect. But I mean, I'm just pointing out that it's, I'm not saying what I'm saying to, to demonize people that are teachers and demonize school staff because sure. we know that there's good school staff. Absolutely. We know that there's good teachers. We know that there's good schools out there in general. I live in a great school district. So I, I, mean, I love my school It's district. not said to blanket all of that. And also it's not said to detract from D, what DHS has done good and other social services that deal with children. My point is, though, is that there's a line that gets crossed every so often. And it seems like more often than not is happening now in this day and age where there's a line being crossed where government agencies, school boards, DHS, other social agencies are now, it's like an iron curtain. It's like Russia has dropped the iron curtain and East and West Berlin are separated. And suddenly the iron curtain is slowly being dropped or they're trying to rather trying to drop this iron curtain between parents and their children as soon as they step foot onto a school property. So, and it's, it goes, it, it, it was even more evident like in those, when COVID hit, um, when kids were having to do the whole virtual sessions at home and p- teachers, parents were suddenly teachers were reaching into their part, their life essentially and criticizing them for things that they saw in the background yep. in their images and everything. Or, you know, some picture. There was that, a kid that was suspended for having a uh, BB gun, realistic-looking BB gun in the background during a Zoom meeting. Uh, if, the parents won the lawsuit, but the kid was suspended for, for bringing a gun to school. He didn't bring the gun to yeah. school. The school came to him. Yeah. The school came that to his just, gun. That was just asinine. It was asinine, and it was a teacher... Uh, you know, I guarantee you, as a teacher that that thought that they were that they were some sort of warrior, social warrior, social warrior, so doing doing the good. You know, to hell with you. The same thing. The same thing just happened in a in a congressional meeting, and I don't I don't mean to rabbit trail again, but um, one of the one of the Republicans were was showing off his guns and saying, "Hey, look, if you if you ban high capacity magazines." Um, so a high capacity magazine for the, those who don't understand is anything that holds more than 10 rounds. So a lot of handguns are designed for a 15 round or 12 round, a 17 round, a 21 round magazine. So if you limit the capacity of these guns, you, the, you're essentially banning that gun because they don't make a magazine with the capacity that you're looking for. Long story short, they were criticizing him for having his guns in Congress. He didn't have his guns in Congress. <laughs> he was remoting in from home. He even said during the video, I'm in my own house. I can do what I want with my guns when I'm in my own house. Because oh uh, one of the senators was yelling out, I hope that gun's not loaded. And he's like, even if it was, it's none of your fucking business. I can do yeah. what I want in my own home. And that, that just goes to show is that you have these people that are trying to drop the Iron Curtain, not between personal and private or public and private, but they're trying to drop the curtain in your living room. Yeah. Essentially is what I'm getting at. They're trying to drop the the curtain inside these kids' rooms. Like, it's control. 
It's a controlling piece and we need to slap their hands. Their hands need to be slapped and they need to be told no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is where you, you can say what you want to say, but when it comes to what happens inside the context of my life, my property, my room, you know, shut the hell up. Exactly. You know, and you know, really that's what it boils down to. On the flip side of the, the arguments, like, yes, we do realize there is a huge issue going on in this country with regards to kids' violence and what is influencing them, driving them to be so much different than they were back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. 90s. 90s even. We didn't have, we had issues. They started to erupt around the 90s, but what changed? I, we could go down a litany of things that could have contributed the to first, it. The first school shooting, I'd have to check this. Uh, the date, but I, I did the research. The very first recorded school shooting was in 1889. Okay. So, so 1889, 1889. Okay. So, and it was a, it was like a one room, room school house and some, some guy came to the school and, and killed kid some or guy. Uh, it was a, it was a guy. So, so not, so not, not a, a, not not a, a child, okay. but, but that was the very first recorded school shooting was in 1889. So, but but we didn't have another one until like 1930 something. And then we didn't have another one until the sixties. So they're, they're becoming more prevalent and more frequent. And in 1889, there were no restrictions. Yeah. There were no restrictions on gun ownership and there was only one. It was the first one. So my, my point is, is it, this has been going on for a while, but it is, absolutely exacerbated within the last 10 years yeah we you're talking there's a shooting now every year multiple every year yeah. it didn't used to be that way. and i think the more concerning piece of it is is that it's kids kids themselves that are doing this it upticked it upticked after columbine yeah columbine was the first modern day school shooting that started the trend i would argue that Columbine can be held responsible for a lot of what's going on today. That was so sensationalized that those that that those two jackholes that 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 did what they did kind of started a trend and they became famous and they became infamous and they became an example and now I think a lot of it is attention that these kids well, do. Yeah. They want to they want to be famous. They become martyrs. I was going to say I don't I mean I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, neither one of the two, but I would wonder what the Oh, I just found it. Um I was looking for a song. There is a Did you ever hear of the band uh, Foster the People? Yes. They do a song called uh, Pumped Up Kicks. Yep. And uh it specifically it refers to the Cleveland Elementary shooting in San Diego. I think that's what it. No, that's I don't like Mondays. But anyways, the the song has, you know, very explicit li lyrics in there about kids running, somebody shooting, and whatever yep. the case be. But I I guess my my thing is is that um I don't again I don't understand the psychology or the psychiatry of it. But at the same time, do we d did we have a switch where Suddenly we are, by covering this stuff, by even covering it, are we giving it room to breathe, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is that, you know, 
should should we even put these things in the news, or should this be something that's dealt with the authorities and the local populace at hand? Well, or my, on a need to know basis. That's a that and that's a great question. My my answer or my my thought would be, no, we sh- we shouldn't be. We should report on this stuff, obviously, but we should never be mentioning the names of these people. Uh, we should never be giving them notoriety. In fact, I was trying to bring it up, but I don't have the copy of the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto. But right in the manifesto, it says that his intent was to, one, he used an AR-15 because he knew that that would get the most attention. And his goal is gun control. He wanted he wanted to sensationalize this so that they ban the AR-15 because in his mind, um, once they ban that, that would kick the quote-unquote the right into gear um, and have them fight back um, but but his intention was the media attention he wanted the fame he mentioned Dylan Roof and and the, um, the I can't remember the guy's name in in um, New Zealand but but his examples were previous school shooters and gotcha. previous mass shooters and he wanted the, the reason he did this is the infamy he wanted to be infamous and he wanted his name spread out there so that other people would use him as an example and do the same thing well there is obviously i this kind of goes i want before i ask this um how much more time do you want to spend on this? Uh, I, it's, we're at we're at like two twelve now, something like that, okay. all together. So I mean, I, I, I sent, would say maybe another fifteen minutes. Okay, or so. I sent you over a seven minute listen. So in light of uh, this, was an interview between uh, with NPR David French, uh, who's senior editor of the Dispatch, which is a conservative magazine, um, and they were talking specifically about red flag laws. And the reason why I want to talk about this real briefly is because this is now coming up as a major talking point with regards to these situations. Red flags. We use the term red flags a lot with regards to identifying things that are... If this starts to play, I apologize. I'm pulling up the article here. I just If it starts to play with before it, it, it's supposed to. I there's, there's a play button. should be at the top. Sure. But anyways, we, we talk about red flag laws. Basically, what's a red flag... What constitutes a red flag? How are we watching out for these red flags? Are we reacting to these red flags appropriate, whatnot? So I think this was an important conversation that um, I think was had. So Yeah, let me, um, let me get this pulled up here. So I have it up on the screen now. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and play this and see if it plays okay for us. Hey NPR, there's a lot to keep up with in the world of electric cars, from the latest advances in range to the growth of charging networks. Click the play button below to hear a selection of three hand-picked stories from NPR's coverage of electromobility. Support for NPR comes from greencars.com. To learn more and discover which electric, hybrid, or high-mileage vehicle is right for you, visit greencars.com. There you go, greencars.com. How does a free society balance a constitutional right to bear arms with the rights of its citizens to feel safe from gun violence. Some progressives are calling for a nationwide ban on assault weapons following the most recent mass shootings in Buffalo, New York, and Uvalde, Texas. Others believe red flag laws offer a better solution. David French is among them. He's a senior editor of The Dispatch. He wrote an essay titled, with a directive, quote, pass and enforce red flag laws now. Red flag laws are laws that allow... uh, 
a person such as a family member, a school official, an employer, a police officer, to go into court and secure an order from a court requiring the police to seize guns from someone who's demonstrated that they're a threat to themselves or others. And the reason why this law is very important is because if you look at mass shootings as a distinct class and a distinct type of crime, you'll notice a few things. One, vast majority of mass shooters obtain their guns legally. Number two, vast majority of mass shooters use handguns instead of these so-called assault rifle type weapons or assault weapons. Um, but a majority of mass shooters actually leak or broadcast or advertise their intention in some way to commit murder. And so red flag laws are designed to deal with this situation where someone is sort of radiating this threat to the rest of the community. And to be clear, there's nothing in the Second Amendment that would prevent states from passing these laws, correct? No, because what red flag laws do is they say your right to keep and bear arms as contingent upon exercising a degree of responsibility. Then I'm going to pause it there for a second because I have a little bit of an objection to that. Um, I, I, I get what they're going with the red flag laws. However, there is nothing in the Second Amendment that would do that. However, the Fourth Amendment and, and the Fourteenth Amendment yeah. would would have a problem. Yeah, I, when I listened, I mean, there were obvious objections I had to some of the things that were in here. I just, I thought it was interesting because this is going to become, you'll just watch, this is going to become no, I get you. one of the talking points coming up here. I'm not arguing against some sort of red flag law. I just, I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe they, I, maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Maybe they discuss it later on. Um, but I feel like um, there needs to be some sort of due process. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, when you go to the court, it can't just be take away this guy's gun and then due process well, after the Well, it would be fact. like when they used to be able to, well, I think some still some states still allow for it when you can have people committed. Yes, you still can do that. Which, which I object to on some levels because yep. what are the criteria? What are the criteria? And I and think it, that's important. If the criteria is flushed out in an acceptable way, I guess I wouldn't have too sure. much of a problem with it, but and, and I'm not. Again, I, I just I wanted to correct there because they're 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 saying that there's nothing in the Second Amendment that would prevent this. Technically, they're not, even though they said, you know, shall not be infringed. That could be considered an infringement. However, at the same time, I do believe that due process and yeah, you know, you know, un unreasonable seizures yeah you know would fall under that but i i, I i'm gonna let them continue yeah, i just if, wanted to make that if they let the ceiling on this too high yeah because the way that he worded that it allows them to go to a judge and then the judge decides to take away the guns yep well does the person have the ability to defend themselves before the guns are seized yeah because that's that's an illegal seizure if you're yeah. if there's no you have to commit a crime for for the fourth amendment to be negated, so to speak, there has to be a crime committed. So if you haven't yet committed a crime, then you can't just take somebody's guns away. Now, I, I'm getting, I, I get what you're saying, and I'm getting what they're saying, that it, that if you wait until after the crime is committed, you're too late, and I get that. My point is, is somebody, maybe they shouldn't just take the guns away. Maybe the person should be hauled into court. Maybe they should be arrested, hauled into court, and then after due process, yeah. the judge says, we're seizing your well, guns. There's there's caveats. There's things, there that, there's yeah. things that can be carved but out. But we'll, we'll continue. I, I didn't want to... Uh, no, the you're resistance, fine. Especially from red states. The resistance has been uh, this sort of idea that they could be subject... Sorry, but especially from red states? That seems kind of 
<laughs> I don't mean to keep nitpicking this, but that that seems like a very biased statement. I'm going to go back. I apologize. To do is they say your right to keep and bear arms as contingent upon exercising a degree of responsibility. Then what's the resistance, especially from red states? The resistance has been uh, this sort of idea that they could be subject to abuse. In other words, a vindictive person could see on social media that someone has posted that they bought a gun and try to get that gun seized without any other evidence of, of threat or that they could be used, wielded as weapons in sort of domestic disputes. Um, and then there also there have been due process objections raised. But thank you. The due process objection here, I think, is uh, dealt with by the precedent of domestic violence restraining orders. This is not something that courts are unaccustomed to is the idea of dealing with somebody who um, is demonstrating that they're a threat to themselves or others. We have to point out, I mean, it's not a panacea, right? New York right. has a red flag law on the books, and it didn't stop the Buffalo shooter this month. That was an, a terrible example in Buffalo, New York, where a red flag law should have prohibited that shooter from obtaining any weapons and should have allowed police to seize weapons from that shooter, but it wasn't utilized. So that's why, you know, there, there has been federal legislation proposed, bipartisan federal leg legislation, in fact, proposed as recently as 2021 that would not only provide federal grant incentives for red flag laws, but federal funding to assist in the implementation. Why not just ban the AR-15 style automatic rifles altogether? Well, the problem with banning those weapons altogether, one is it's a virtual impossibility. There's tens of millions, 20 million maybe or more of them in circulation right now. The other thing is the vast majority of these mass killings occur with handguns. Thank you. What you're talking about when you're talking about banning of assault weapons, I'm not sure that you're talking about ending mass killings in any real meaningful way at all. But that's the the phrase that I think trips this whole thing up in any meaningful way at all. That's so subjective, is it not? Because even red flag laws, we've just established that it's not going to solve everything. You're talking about taking a measure with red flag laws that's targeted specifically at the conduct and the fact patterns of mass shootings versus imposing a ban on a weapon that millions of people use lawfully and in many cases is proved in other jurisdictions where there are assault weapons bans completely ineffective at stopping a determined criminal from obtaining assault weapon or modifying an otherwise legal weapon to be an assault weapon. It seems to me that if we're wanting to really target mass shootings, we would, should go where the evidence leads us. I guess it's somewhat puzzling to me why when we see many, many instances where people obtain assault weapons even unlawfully and use them or modify them to make them unlawful. That becomes the mm -hmm. primary focus of public debate mm -hmm. when they're not even used for a vast majority of mass killings. Well, because they're, they're the most egregious, right? Like they, they, it was a weapon that was explicitly designed to kill as many people as possible in a short period of time. And I think the question is always, why do civilians even need this weapon? One of the things that the Second Amendment does is it protects your right of self-defense. So, for example, you know, my family has been under threat off and on for several years. And because um, of, we should say because of because of your writing and yes, and different issues you've taken a position on. Yes. Yes. And in that circumstance, I feel like I have to defend myself against a foreseeable threat. And the foreseeable threat is a person who possesses either a semi-automatic rifle or a semi-automatic pistol. 
And so that's what we use to defend our family is a semi-automatic rifle at home. And then Mm. when you carry a weapon, a semi-automatic pistol. You have that in your home, David? Yes, absolutely. An AR-15 style? Yes, yes. And it makes you feel safer? It makes me safer. It's not just Mm. a feeling. It's a reality. It does make me safer. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. You know, I, I have to throw out a little bit of respect for this guy. Because he's he's at least admitting, which is another thing. She is very, being very condescending. Yeah, she her, the condescension yeah. is dripping yeah. from from her mouth. That's NPR. What do you expect? Yeah, I mean, I get that. <laughs> so, so so, but but I love that this guy said it's it's not a feeling. It does. It makes me safer. It's not a feeling. I am safer because of having this gun. And and the good point, the the the, the fact that I, I enjoy what he's saying here, is because. You don't you don't get to dictate the level of threat that that becomes upon you. So you yeah, okay, so maybe some guy methed out breaks into your home with a knife, you have one guy to deal with. That's that's one scenario. What about the scenario where four people break into your home and each one of them has a handgun and you've got to defend yourself against four people? What do you want? Do you want a shotgun with two shells in it, or do you want a semi-automatic exactly. rifle with thirty rounds where you can defend yourself without having to reload? Capacity and evening the playing exactly. Floor, like we I talked want about to earlier. be. Yeah. I want it to be an unfair fight. Yeah. I want to have the yeah. most. I want to have a better gun than what they have. I want it to be unfair. I want it to be a killing machine. That's why Bazooka Jew has a bazooka in his house, <laughs> and if said assailant comes into his house, he's going to be met with. What 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 caliber or what uh, what caliber? Fifty cal. What 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 is a bazooka? What is a, even a, like a bazooka? Is not even a. Is that like a thirty mil? No. What is the? I wouldn't even hundred. <laughs> probably, I would say at least a hundred and twenty millimeter. <laughs> Can you imagine getting hit because with that? A, a grenade launcher is a hundred and twenty millimeter grenade. Launcher. Hold still. <laughs> this thing doesn't have a. <laughs> You know, <laughs> destroying your living room. <laughs> you got a big hole in the side of your house. I killed the assailant. I got him. But I have to, like, get a new zoning permit because I have to fix my house. My foundation is destroyed, <laughs> but I got him. All right, let's continue. Sorry. What's the, the justification for me um, acquiescing to a legal regime that permits the criminal to have the semi-automatic weapon? Because I... We're not going to stop them from possessing the, one of the most common kinds of firearms that exists in the entire United States, but mm-hmm. would prevent me from having it for self-defense. But, David, how do we balance this? I hear you, but how do you balance that with the rights of people, American citizens, children, to live their life without fear that someone is randomly going to shoot them and kill them? Another point, you can't eliminate risk. Yeah, there's there's your child, you you know, when you when they leave your house, when they get on the school bus, that's a risk. You're they're risking that that school bus isn't going to careen down a uh, God forbid careen down the side of a cliff and explode at the bottom of a hill. But at the same time, if you know, I don't know how many people listen to NPR or actually listen to this interview, but the statement that she makes but David, how do we balance this? I hear you, but how do you balance? Now, here's here's the rhetoric. Yep. How do you balance that with the rights of people, American citizens, children? Here's the rhetoric piece. Children to live their life without fear that someone is randomly going to shoot them and kill them. You're basically creating this idea is that that's always going to be the probability. Yeah. 
that that's in, that's a it's improbable that this will never it's happen. actually and and that goes back to the statistic that I pulled up earlier that the 0.0001% statistically they don't have that fear. No. In in fact, statistically that fear is irrational. Yes. And that's the thing is they're building these irrational fears. Just real quick, not to yeah. um I was actually listening to Joe Rogan talk to uh he was a former Joe Rogan or Roe Jogan? Roe Jogan. Roe Jogan. Okay. Roe Jogan was talking <laughs> to this uh Marine um I can't remember Kristen Beck or Beth, I can't remember his last name. But anyways, they were they were talking about this whole idea of uh how when they grew up, feelings were something that could be hurt and you could laugh about it. Sure. And walk away from it. And you would develop some flexibility within your feelings about certain issues because they were poked at. They were talking about Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle and how there's been this ebb and flow and this rise and this this sudden um, irrational fear of somebody poking at your feelings, so to speak. And, you know, it it's like what she's saying right there, what she's saying right there is that bubbling, that that cultivating of this idea that you should you should never entertain the idea that you should ever be harmed. Yeah. Like you said, negating risk. Insurance companies rise and fall based off of risk. That's right. You know, that's their whole underlying thing. You cannot Why do you carry car insurance? Exactly. And then I mean it's just Cuz they know you can't eliminate car accidents. But but you can with responsible drivers to an extent. Like you can minimize. Yeah, yeah, you, you can, can minimize, minimize it, it. But you can't eliminate. But the and threat. that's and that's the thing that they're not talking about. And what she's she's trying to get at it from the perspective. She's oversimplifying. They tell us. Oh, that's way oversimplifying. Yeah. They they tell that. us that we oversimplify with that's regards really to gun rights. It. But you want to talk about oversimplification of an answer to an issue. This is what that is. This is an oversimplification of a larger issue. Is that he, what David is saying is that I can mitigate the threat to my family and my household by having something that's as good, if not better, than what the assailant perpetually might or potentially might have when he enters into my household illegally. That's right. So that's, and that, well, I'll touch on this after no, we're like, done, but yeah. you get where I'm going. Yeah, I'll start this. Yeah. What I advocate is that if you want to do something, rather than focus your energies on, the, on a, something that has not been proven to deal with the mass shooting threat, um, that's extraordinarily difficult to pass under the best of circumstances, instead concentrating on something that is targeted at the mass shooting threat, that has bipartisan support, has been implemented in many, many jurisdictions, what is interesting to me is that Governor Abbott, um, several years ago, indicated an openness to, to red flag laws, as, as did the NRA after Parkland, very briefly. Um, but the sort of the grassroots gun rights base of the GOP has really vigorously opposed these laws. And so a number of Republicans who have at least indicated openness, including Donald Trump, President Trump, when he was president, indicated an openness to red flag laws. But the grassroots GOP shut down a lot of that conversation. It's time to restart it. David French is the senior editor of The Dispatch. David, I appreciate you having this conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. How does a free... So 
Support for NPR right, and the shut, following message. Shut up. Um, I, ju- I just felt like it was an honest no, conversation. That's a, and, and you know what? That's a, it, is a, it is a good conversation. What I want to push back about, uh, again, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back, but my, my pushback is, is it wasn't some grassroots GOP, like, like there's some scary um, cabal hiding in the corner someplace um, regarding, um, regarding, you know, uh, red flag laws and things like that. My what what my opposition to red flag laws is exactly what he, he mentioned and we discussed at the beginning is due process. Yeah, he he talked about domestic violence uh, re, re, uh, restraining orders, but the restraining orders doesn't it, it's it's not aggressive in the fact that there's no there's no um, what's the word I'm looking for. There's no violation of space when it comes to a restraining order. All a restraining order does is say that you can't be within a certain distance of said person. It's not so, – so my problem – I'm going to put it this way. So my problem with red flag laws beyond due process is now you're talking about enforcing, enforcing these things with the barrel of a gun. So what you're saying is, and I, 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 get, I get the reason for them, but let's say I, I am going to use that example of a spurned lover or a domestic dispute. Um, so I have an ex-girlfriend, we'll say, and um, we didn't end our relationship on the best terms. Uh, said, said girlfriend can call the authorities and say, I have a ton of guns and I've talked for years about... Um, committing crimes and that I'm a threat to society. They go to court. They decide that I'm, they, they need to seize my guns. Um, am I going to give these guns up freely or, or am I going to be involved in the process or are they just going to send a SWAT team to my house Yeah, to, to haul me in? And, and when, again, I'm not expecting said SWAT team. So when they breach the door and I start firing and, and I get killed, and it turns out that none of this was true to begin with. You've just murdered a man yeah. for protecting his home. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's my that's my problem with red flag laws is if if we can figure out a way to add some due process to where the accused can because in this country the the, the accused is supposed to be able to face their accuser. Yeah. So I sh- if somebody's going to go to court and argue on behalf of a yeah. judge that my guns need to be taken away, I feel like I should be part of that conversation. Yeah. So un- until there's a- some sort of prov- provision that allows me a defense before my guns are taken away, because the other thing is, is once once things are seized by the government, they tend to disappear, you know, before my rights are violated, before you send the SWAT team. Or maybe if you do send the SWAT team, don't take the guns. Just, just you know, m- maybe send me a subpoena to to appear in court. Or you know, there's got to be some sort of give and take on this. We can't we can't just you know be be kicking down people's doors and taking their guns. You, you get where I'm going? Yeah. Like, how is how is that going to work out? What is my what is what does my defense look like if somebody accuses me? Of, of being evil 
and wanting to do evil things, what recourse do I have to prevent that from happening? I think the problem, too, is, I mean, these red flag laws are an attempt for those that, my estimations are an attempt by those who believe firmly, at least to some degree, in the Second Amendment and what it proposes. They're, they're proposing this as uh, an olive branch, essentially, uh, given given the nature of what's been going on. The problem is, is because... This is such a very specific and hairline trigger type of a law. If you think about it, um, there there are laws that approach the border of both sides of things very closely that it's very easy to trespass, so to speak. Mm -hmm. If you get what I'm saying, it's very easy to go over, go too far, so to speak, with these type of laws. And typically, typically, I would say this, that when laws are that hair thin... Um, there's a very there's a preponderance of possibilities that it would go in the other direction, which means it would be abused. Sure. So I, I get what you're saying. I, I just say that to, but and I'm not opposed. I'm I'm not opposed to red flag laws. I just think if if we're gonna have that discussion, then you know the constitutionality of it and due process and the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment all need to be all need to be taken into consideration when we're when we're talking about essentially sending a SWAT team to cuz that's where it's going to go uh, it's not going to you know most of these people are not going to be like oh hey yeah you know you're right uh, i shouldn't have been saying that stuff here's my guns i'm going to give you a, a quick you know? for instance of how how this could go in a bad situation um, during covid in pennsylvania during during the last during 2020 2021 somewhere around there one of the state representatives in Pennsylvania had developed a form that people could go online and submit complaints about people that were breaking curfew or not seeing masks in public or weren't social distancing properly snitch or snitch laws snitch laws they were basically giving people from a government turning level turning in their neighbors for, to turn in their neighbors there was no – the way I read all of that is that there was little to no thought put into the whole due process piece of it. There was nothing. It was absolutely asinine. It was completely – I people, people shot back at that like vehemently and mm -hmm. rightfully so because whoever put that together should not be in a government position as far no. as I'm concerned because somebody, for somebody to, to not put in the thought of how this could go wrong – shouldn't be a lawmaker exactly when you put together a law you know whatever your intention is you need to recognize both the All pros sides. and cons of that law because if you're not then you're just trying to ride with an agenda and uh as far as i'm concerned that should never be the case but no. with red flag laws uh you know it's one of those things where here here's I started talking about Joe Rogan and I started talking about how people have gotten into a point where they're not afraid to be poked at. I think with regards to gun ownership, we need to be willing to recognize that there are problems. Absolutely. Because there are some, and you know this as well as I do, there are some in that, in that side of things that will just completely turn off that there's any potential issues that you shouldn't be responsible. There's no need for it. I can just be, you know, Duke Nukem driving around, you know, however I want. So we know there's people out there, but they are in by far the smallest 
of percentage of the people that believe in the right to own guns. In fact, I would say that most of the people that believe in the right to own guns fall more into the middle spectrum of things because it's the responsible gun owners that are contributing, like I said before, that are contributing to that percentage of 3 million, upwards of 3 million people, you know, ranging from 500,000 to 3 million people that are successfully and responsibly, responsibly defending themselves and their families in those type of situations. So we know that there's more level-headed people at the core of this discussion than there are at the fringes discussing or attempting to pull which way or the other. So the, the idea, this idea that people are not willing to be poked at with regards to their feelings, both left and right, with regards to this conversation exclu excludes the fact, completely excludes the fact that there's Democrats and Republicans and everybody in between Democrats and Republicans that believe in responsible ownership and are defending themselves because we know that there is many, there are a large number of Democrats that own guns as much as there are Republicans that own guns and then libertarians and everybody else that identifies in that spectrum. So we, we know that there are people that are willing to be poked at with regards to what is necessary and what's not necessary, and they're not going to take offense to that because they recognize the, the practicality of certain things that need to come into play. At the same time, with regards to red flag laws, we've got to understand is that if this is not flushed out, if this becomes a conversation, a keynote conversation, because it really hasn't yet, if this becomes the keynote conversation that the left is not going to get everything they want and the right's not going to get everything they want, but there's a happy medium somewhere, the, if that conversation comes to fruition, this has to be flushed out in the boldest of letters, uh, taking into account everything you said, Fourth Amendment, all the due process laws, everything that would counteract a decision that would be um, negative towards somebody that owns guns. So or is a responsible gun owner because like I said before it always ends up that the law gets run with it's like a cart unhinged with a horse running without a rider and it just runs to the farthest extreme on the other side the of the tail, spectrum the tail always ends up wagging the dog yeah is usually how exactly it, how it works that's always the the result is in in a society that that's inherently free if you if you give if you give a government the ability to do something, it will eventually abuse that that yeah what you that which would you have you've given them you've 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 given them an inch and they'll like you said they'll take a mile when you give them an inch and and I think that's the gun for coming from as a gun owner I think that's the biggest fear is that if we're gonna if 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 we cede any ground on this issue then th then it's just going to go one step further and then we're going to be talking about it again and they're going to take something else away and it's it, as a as a gun owner it seems like every time we make concession then yes. they, then they want to go further well there's been a very big i would say especially over the last couple of like 10 years or more there's been a sincere drop in trust in the conversation like neither side trust each other in the conversation and that's really what it boils down to is that the, the willingness of Democrats to let the fringe speak on their behalf or vice versa, the willingness of the right to let the fringes speak on their behalf has completely destroyed the ability to have a conversation with the rest of the country. Because the rest of the country, again, I firmly believe that the rest of the country would be willing to talk honestly about these situations and would be able to concede 
on issues without without restricting rights to such a degree that it becomes an infringement upon people. Absolutely. I was watching, not that I normally watch them, but I was watching an interview Crowder did with some people on the street. Actually, no, I think, is that the one you spun up? Uh, they were talking about abortion. Um, I think and so. And he was just talking to some random people in Texas or some city somewhere, just random people on the street, and they were having that conversation. So it was just interesting. Yeah. Um, so... At any rate, um, we got some visitors here, I think. Hi. Anyway, um, that, that's probably a good place to wrap it up anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, what were we saying? Just just with regards to red flag laws. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're going to go and what they're going to end up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, at any rate, um, I, I guess the, the point is that Anytime that you do these kind of things, there, there's some balance. There's a balancing act that needs to be done, one way or another. Either we need to, you know, there needs to be some ebb and flow, some give and take on either side of the conversation. So, um, what do you think? We do you want to wrap it up and talk about it again? Yeah, I mean, there's some other subjects that we can definitely touch on next week. So. Sure. I mean, this flows into so many different conversation pieces, ranging from. You know, what's contributing to these issues, you know, what's contributing to the sure. larger problems of the shootings and, you know, where these red flag laws could lead in and, you know, just exploring more of the conversation of what's happening between the parties with regards to these laws and how they're developing and all that kind of stuff. So, sure. Well, um, in that case, you can find us on Facebook, PA Between the Lines. You can find us on Twitter at the BTL Podcast. You can find us um, on our website, thebtlpodcast.com. Um, and um, you can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, Google, Apple, all those places. Um, so go check that out. Check out our old episodes. Um, uh, we'll have this up on YouTube, uh, things like that. So um, just check us out. Um, just stay level-headed, stay kind. And I suppose until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. You didn't give him any long, long man today. Oh, I guess we got to do the long, long man. <laughs> you don't can't we? end an episode. We without. can't have. We can't not have the long, long. There's got to be some some funny going on. Yeah, this is a pretty serious podcast. <laughs> I'm so. depressed now. Long, long man. You can find us facebook.com forward slash pa between the lines. You can find us. YouTube at Between the Lines and on our website btlpodcast.com Thank <laughs> Kisses. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Until next time, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Have a great week. See ya. Yep. Bye.